Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console. Xbox. I'm said host Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 1st, 2024, including Microsoft has laid off 1,900 people in gaming, causing serious ramifications for Xbox Activision Blizzard employees. Apple's new policies make it possible for a Game Pass app to come to iOS devices, but at what cost? Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League is releasing this week to tons of controversy, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2012, 12 years ago, Double Fine Happy Action Theater was released as an Xbox Live Arcade game for the Xbox 360 as a Kinect game back in the day, original Kinect. Shout out to Kinect, may you rest in peace. Not the first Kinect, first Kinect kind of sucks, but you know, Xbox One Kinect, pretty great, pretty great. So, weird one there, a little throwback, I haven't thought about that game, I never played that game, but I, I haven't thought about that game since it, it came out, like that's like a, that's like the definition of one of those games, like you, you see it there, you're browsing around xbox on your dashboard you see the game you're like no thanks i'm never buying that game you move on with your life that's the kind of game we're talking about here i I forgot about this game this game's existence entirely until just right now but double fine an xbox uh own team now so it's kind of full circle kind of makes sense it's a bigger part of xbox history when you think of it that way still rest in peace connect all right guys welcome to episode 244 of xbox on podcast mike clark writes in and says Xbox on time to crack open an ale eight and spend the next few hours with my favorite Xbox podcast. Thank you, Mike. Welcome. Yes. Everybody crack open a can of ale eight, which is that the one we determined recently is a root beer, uh, a a root beer brand from like Kentucky or something. That's that what cream soda and root beer or something. I I don't remember. I'm pretty sure that's what that one was. Listen, man, try not to drink soda right now. I'm trying to be a good boy. I'm going to crack open an ice cold Zephyr Hills water sourced in Lake County, Florida. Anyway, you guys, pardon me if I sound a little off. I don't think I sound weird this week. I feel weird. Uh, I did get un- un- unusually sick very suddenly um, the other day. I just I just started burning up, got a bad fever, a bad cough. <clears throat> so I've um, today and today just feels a little weird. It's a Wednesday, normal day. I'm recording the podcast, but I'm recording really early because I actually, for the second time in my entire working career, had to call out sick from work today. So. A little bit of a blessing in disguise, I guess, because it gives me more time to just focus on doing the podcast and not having to do it all one night after work. But uh, I, I, you know, I just feel a little off. Thankfully, overnight the fever broke. I feel a lot better right now, but I still got the cough. I still, you know, you get that that feeling of like I'm sick. That feeling of like ah, it's a Wednesday and I'm not at work. Why am I here? Why am I at home? This is this is wrong. I'm not supposed to be here. And you just I don't know. Like I. I was never that kid growing up that could like play hooky from school because it's like I just the guilt the guilt would just eat me alive. I'm like ah, I know it's like supposed to be cool. I'm not at school right now, but like ah, I'm missing math class. Ah, I'm gonna not know shit about decimals now. That kind of stuff. So I'm getting a little bit of that feeling as an adult right now. I'm missing work, wondering about what my what my email inbox looks like right now. God forbid I take 24 hours away from it. But nonetheless, blessing in disguise because fever broke a couple hours ago. I'm feeling good. And we're recording Xbox on early, and I'm, I'm glad to just be here with all you guys today. So, 
Apologies if I sound a little off, a little tired, a little fatigued, but I'm on the mend. And if I get this podcast done in time, I might even have a little bit of free time left to play some some more Batman tonight. So I'm looking forward to that potentially happening. Guys, let's let's start off this week talking about the notable game releases that are coming to the Xbox platform, of which there are three I want to touch on real quick, and the third one we're probably going to stop and have a little bit of a conversation about. First one being Insurgency Sandstorm. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, dumbass Jesse, Jesse the dumbass. Uh, Insurgency Sandstorm has not only been available on Xbox for a long-ass time, but it's it's available through Game Pass. What are you talking about? It comes out this week. Well, listen here, you stupid fuck, because that game is a Xbox 360 game that, obviously, you can play on any modern Xbox hardware. However, this week, on January 30th, so it's already out at the time as of the time you're listening to this, Insurgency Sandstorm now has a new Xbox Series S and X version of the game available. So we're talking about ray tracing 4K. You can see the sweat on people's brows kind of kind of deal happening. I don't know. I don't I don't know what they did to improve it, but you assume it looks and plays a little better. I don't know. I tried Insurgency Sandstorm. It didn't do it for me. It was one of those like the gunplay didn't feel just right. And so I had to sorry. There's just too many first person shooters that feel so so tight, so good these days that I can't I can't waste my time with one that doesn't feel perfect because, you know, I'm just I'm I'm spoiled by the likes of Call of Duty and 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 Halo and all that stuff. So, no offense, but Insurgency Sandstorm, I'm not gonna be playing you, but it's out for those who want to play a nicer looking version of it. Uh, Persona Three Reloaded is the second game we have here. This was a big one for Xbox just because this was announced alongside all those other Persona games coming to Xbox. So. It's just kind of a big deal that not only is is the Persona franchise available for on Xbox platform for the first time, but even though this Persona 3 Reloaded, a ground-up remake of Persona 3, not only is it, is it, is it here and, and Persona fans are excited about it, but it was announced for and marketed with Xbox first. And I, I believe this one's not Game Pass, right? Persona 5 was Game Pass, but Persona 3 Reloaded is not Game Pass, so... Um, I believe you do have to pay for this. I have to double check on that one. I should I should know that. Uh, but that's February 2nd. So what is that? February 2nd, I think, is Friday. So Xbox One, Xbox Series, and PC release. So if you love your JRPGs, hey, if you want to continue to show Xbox that you want more Japanese games available on the platform, here's a great game to check out because Persona is highly regarded as one of the better JRPG series out there. Uh, I played a little Persona 5 a couple months ago, as you may remember. Is good. I like it. There's a lot to like about those games. I'm not about to spend 100 hours of my life just to get through one of them, though. All right, and the final game coming out this week that I want to mention is Suicide Squad killed the Justice League after many years of rumors, after many years of uh, trailers and you know marketing cycle, after last year's big delay. Uh, the game is finally coming out. I mean, do you guys remember that? Like the 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 Rocksteady's making a a Suicide Squad rumor. I mean that 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 shit goes back to like 2017, 2018 or something like that. It's it has been a long time, maybe 2018, 2019. Um, but it, it really has. It feels like it's been an eternity that we've been talking about. The rumors been swirling around that yeah, the guys that make the Batman Arkham games they're working on a Suicide Squad game right now. Like that's. I just can't believe how long it took to get here. Unfortunately, you know, I wish it were under better better circumstances, but unfortunately, it looks like the game is just completely surrounded in controversy about just so many different aspects about it. So I want to get into that a little bit just because uh, I'm playing the, the Batman Arkham series right now for the first time, as many of you know, because I keep talking about it every week. And so, like, I feel like this timing is really, really ideal because it gets me in a really particularly great, you know, place in, in, in time for me where... Not only am I playing these games for the first time, but I'm adoring these games. 
And so I'm very much looking forward to playing Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, because it's like <clears throat> I, I, I wasn't there to play Arkham Asylum or Arkham City, you know, when they came out back in the day. But I will be there to play Suicide Squad when it comes out, you know, in its in its respective time period. And so it's cool to be able to be there at the during the conversation, during the time of that game's, you know, heyday, so to speak. Um, and so I'm like, I'm really looking forward to this game, but just all the negativity surrounding it is just, uh, oh, it's really unfortunate. And so we'll get into that in a second, but real quick, um, game obviously is going to be available on Xbox series X and S as well as PC it releases this Friday. If you spent an extra 30 bucks, if you bought like the hundred dollar version of the game, you could play it a few days early. Um, I never recommend doing that unless money is just literally not an option object to you. Although I guess I'm a hypocrite because I paid 30 extra bucks to get Starfield a week early. So fuck me. But first, I want to read a comment. Mr. Malg writes in says, Suicide Squad early release is out now. I'm still unsure how I feel about this game because, yeah, it's Rocksteady. I may pick it up day one on sale. Sorry, I may pick it up one day on sale. Those are two very different things. Uh, what I find funny, though, is that the game is <clears throat> sponsoring two of the biggest pro wrestling companies, WWE and AEW. King Shark is even voiced by AEW's champion, Samoa Joe. I don't know any of that, what any of that means. I, I know... Those are wrestling brands uh, or, you know, the wrestling divisions or leagues or whatever. But I, I don't know anything about this game sponsoring wrestling. Anyway, I don't know. I feel like that makes sense. I feel like I feel like you could, there are certain things that just make sense. It's like how every theme park across America is like, bring a can of Coca-Cola to the theme park and we'll give you $40 off your ticket. And you're just like, yeah, the high fructose corn syrup and American families riding roller coasters. That just makes sense. It's one of those things where, like, you can't quite put your finger on it, but it, it's a... Uh, two unlike things that make sense together. So I feel like a game where you play as a giant man shark that slaughters innocent people of Metropolis, I feel like that appeals to the crowd of people that also want to watch men jacked up on steroids smack each other in the face with foldable chairs. So no no disrespect to wrestling, but you, you know what I mean? It's like, how does a DC supervillain, you know, relate to wrestling? Well, I don't know, but it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, so... What do you want me to say? But as for the first part of your comment, yeah, man, I, I'm with you. I get it. And listen, there is a lot of there is a lot of the hate that this game is receiving that I think is really well justified. Um, particularly like right now, the big thing is that the game is in early access and the servers were down during the first 12 hours of it. So you got these people that paid a hundred bucks to get the special version of the game that let them play it two or three days early. And they're not able to play the game early because the servers are down. Like, that's a huge fucking no-no. And they tried to do a make good by giving everyone, like, a $20 store credit to buy cosmetics and stuff like that. So, like, a little something here and there <coughs> to say, <clears throat> to say we're sorry we fucked up. But, like, you know, that's that's a pretty justifiable reason to be upset, especially when you've had this long to make this game. It's like, don't you fucking put this game out with broken servers and then upcharge your most loyal fans you know to, to play that game early because that that's just super shitty so i stuff like that i get but that's the more like superfluous kind of and i don't mean to play it off like it's not important it is important in, in the grand scheme of things like things like this need to stop happening in gaming like we need to stop releasing broken games and shit but I'm, that's the kind of stuff where in five years no one's going to look back and be like suicide squad sucked because the uh the first day of early access the servers were broken that's not that people will forget about that story in like three weeks so forget about that what, what's more disheartening to me is just the general hatred aimed at this game. And, and like, remember in the news, like, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how the, the new report is that actually after Batman Arkham Knight in 2015 
Rocksteady was trying to work on a brand new IP and they were trying to do some kind of multiplayer type experience and then um, a different team was making a Suicide Squad game and then that got canceled and WB came to Rocksteady and was like, you guys should do a Suicide Squad game and kind of force them to take their project they had been working on and shoehorn it into being a Suicide Squad game and and we all kind of walked away. You know, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I, I felt like, wow, that makes absolute perfect sense why this game ended up one, taking as long as it did because it was one thing and then it got forced to become a second thing over time. So that explains a delay. And then also this explains how you end up going from making these Batman games who are which are just the perfect embodiment of what a Batman video game should be to making this new Suicide Squad game, which, you know, I haven't played the game yet, so I can't speak to it. But it does seem like from an outside perspective looking in, it does seem pretty obvious that it's not that the game looks bad, like the graphics look great. I'm sure the presentation is great. The storytelling, the characters are great. It's just that it's like, why is this the gameplay? Like, why is this the the, the type of game this is? Like, it's, it's an experience we get to play as the Suicide Squad. And it's like this kind of online co-op live service shooter type, like, like Destiny Borderlands type thing. Like, why? why? You know? And so... It makes a lot, I don't know, with with that context, it makes it a little harder for me to be, I guess I'm more pissed at WB than I am at Rocksteady because Rocksteady at the end of the day was probably just forced into doing this, whereas WB being the publisher and the owner of the studio and the IP and everything um, were more the ones like, hey, this is what you have to do. <laughs> so I don't know, that, that also changes things for me. I feel like all that context and all that background kind of really does change the conversation. And so I don't know, I, I just bring that all to say, at the end of the day, I get that like the live service looter shooter thing isn't for everyone, and I don't think this game is full like a full blown looter shooter. It doesn't, I mean, they haven't been like mm, season one's content will be the the season of Batman's butthole, and you'll have uh, cosmetics that you can unlock through a battle pass that will last forty five days. You know, they're not doing that stuff. It seems like it's just like they're gonna have DLC, they're gonna have expansions and stuff. But for the most part, it seems like it is an open world story driven game that you can play co-op that has replayability by leveling up and unlocking and upgrading, customizing the loadouts and characters and things like that, which is, you know, don't get me wrong. Those are elements of these multiplayer kind of looter shooter games as a service style games, but it doesn't seem like the game is, you know, totally like pound for pound uh, exactly a, a, a games as a service style game. So I also think that's one other element of this where it's like maybe just slightly getting misrepresented, but I don't know, I guess, here's what I'm trying to say. I can understand why people are disappointed by what they've seen of this game. And I can understand why there are certain things surrounding this game that have made people go like, Hey, I'm going to wait for this game to be on sale before I buy it. Or I'm going to wait until a couple people I really respect the opinions of, you know, put out a YouTube video or post a article or whatever. So I can learn more about it and see if it's something I want to play. I totally respect and get all of that. And I think everything surrounding this game has totally justified that. I mean, like WB, getting petty and like denying IGN uh, access to review the game because they, they posted a preview saying they didn't like the game. Like that kind of shit's just disgusting. And and like, I totally understand fans seeing that kind of stuff happening and being like, yeah, fuck this game. I don't want to, I don't want to play it day one. I get that. But I'm just trying to look at this from the perspective of like, let the game just be what it is and let it speak for itself. And tell me like, does the game really look terrible? When I look at this game and I don't and I don't think about all the negative press surrounding it and all the 4chan and Reddit comments that are trying to tell you what to think about it and, and, and all that stuff, what I what I see is a game that lets you play as 
the 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 worst people in the DC universe, which is pretty cool. The Suicide Squad, they're fucking crazy people. In what I think is a really really awesome synopsis, which is the the Justice League having poison or brainwash or whatever the fuck is happening, and you are tasked with killing these these superheroes that are like gods to everyone else, which is fucking badass. So you got to go kill Superman and Batman and Flash and Wonder Woman, and that's fucking awesome. And even if you look at the gameplay and you're like, why is why are they jumping and swinging around and shooting guns and stuff? It's like, I don't know. To me, it has a little bit of that like fucking keep running, sunset overdrive, keep the momentum flowing kind of energy. And like, I, I feel like that's the one game that this game, that's the one game you could compare this game to that people are just overlooking time and time again, which is that, yeah, Suicide Squad has a lot in common with the Borderlands or a Destiny style game, but it also has like, a shit ton in common, at least from the trailers and the gameplay we've seen with sunset overdrive. And that's a game I adore. I love it's Spider-Man meets Tony Hawk style, uh, traversal with, with the ratchet and clank arsenal weaponry. And it looks like that's what this game is. It's like you're jumping from building to building. You're grappling onto shit and you're swinging around all while holding big, heavy ass guns and blowing things brains out. It's like, I don't know. That sounds like fun. And a lot of the gameplay previews are like, yeah, the trick to the, to the gameplay is to always be moving, always be jumping, always be swinging, always be moving left and right, back and forth. Like don't stop and shoot. Just keep moving, keep moving and blowing things up. I'm like, that sounds like a pretty fucking badass game. And if you have that with four characters that have like witty, funny banter back and forth among one another, all set to this backdrop of like the justice league have gone evil and we got to kill them. Like, I don't know. Does that sound like an Oscar winning experience? Does it sound like the next last of us style game? I don't know. Do we got to give Harley Quinn a fucking child to run around with and save? No. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's not going to be that quality of experience, but I'm looking at this game. I'm like, it looks pretty fucking fun. And the synopsis is pretty cool. And like, I don't know, again, maybe I'm just like way too optimistic because I'm playing through the Batman Arkham trilogy right now for the first time. And I'm really loving it. And I'm looking at this game and I'm thinking like, wow, how exciting will that be to finish Batman Arkham Knight this week? And then I'll be able to go right into Suicide Squad, a brand new game. I feel like that would be really fun. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just overly optimistic or maybe I'm just doing that obnoxious thing where it's like, everyone hates this, so I like it. <laughs> or like, everyone likes that, so I hate it. I'm not trying to be that guy. But I, I don't know. I, just, I feel like this game has, there's some controversy surrounding this game that is absolutely warranted and I totally understand it. And then I, on, on the other hand, I feel like this game is a perfect example of falling victim to that whole like, hey, the internet hates this and says you're supposed to hate it. So let's all agree in unison to just hate this thing. And that that definitely does happen to some extent. You know, I feel like there are sometimes things where it's like, that was disappointing, but the internet makes us go from being like, oh yeah, that thing was like disappointing to like, let's hate it. Like you have to be, there's, there's no such thing as like a mild reaction to things. You can't have like mixed feelings or feel apathy. You have to be all in on something. You have to love something or you have to hate something. And I feel like, I don't know, it works the same way with positivity also. Like I'm like, what's a good example of a game? It's gotta be one that I've I've actually played because I haven't played like Elden Ring or Baldur's Gate three or recent examples, but like, I don't know. Let's, let's use God of War 2018 as an example, right? God of War 2018. I played that game. I thought God of War 2018 was really damn good. Like I played it, I was like, that was one of the better PS4 games I played. It was I had an excellent time and I moved on with my life. But because of the way the internet reacts to that game, you would think that you play God of War 2018 and it's gonna fucking shave your mustache and 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 make you 
look at the world in a whole new light. But it, 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 I don't know, like to someone like me, it's like games like just a little overrated because everyone talks about like it is the most groundbreaking game. And while it is really captivating and really cinematic and the combat is excellent and the characters are really compelling and the writing is wonderfully done, all that's true. It's like it doesn't break any ground I haven't seen in other games before. It just does something other games have done before really, really well, which is commendable, but like, you know, so I feel like it, in the same way that, in my opinion, a game like God of War 2018 is really great, but maybe overrated because people are just so gung-ho about it being the greatest thing since sliced bread. I feel like a game like Suicide Squad, and granted, we haven't played it yet. It's not out yet for the, the normies that are buying the regular version of the game. I feel like this is an example of a game that's probably not going to be that bad. I'm sure this is like this is a game that that is like screaming a solid 6.5 out of 10. And uh, we all have to act like it's a 1 out of 10 because the Internet says it's bad. The Internet says they don't like, oh, spoiler alert, I don't like the way they killed Batman in the game. I don't know. You see that? I'm not, I, I'm not spoiling anything. I haven't watched any videos or anything, but you keep seeing like these tweets and these fucking YouTube thumbnails that are like, oh, fans are upset with this scene of the game. And it shows like Batman with a bloody face. And it's like, fuck you. I'm not clicking on your stupid shit. But it's, it's, it's that stuff. It's like, can we just, can we just like, I don't know, come to our own conclusions? Can we just, you know, if something looks underwhelming, just admit that it's maybe underwhelming and move on. Can we not love everything with the most pa- like fervor there there could possibly be or, or hate something with the most passion most passionate hatred uh you know known to man like can we just can we just calm the fuck down so suicide squad i remain optimistic about this game i still think it looks good i'm hoping to finish up batman arkham knight in the coming days and then if all goes well this weekend i'll be playing suicide squad so maybe next week we can talk about it i'll tell you what my early impressions are on the game um but I don't know, man. It's just all the negativity surrounding this game. It just, it, it hasn't shaken my, um, my confidence that this game at the very least is going to be a fun experience. It might not be God of War, you know, again, they might not give Deadshot a young child to, to protect against the evil forces of the Justice League, but I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's fun to be a giant shark and shoot a gun at the rooftop of the building. So maybe. All right, let's move on. I don't know. I just wanted to get that off my chest. It's just, it's just so much hatred to the Suicide Squad. and I think it looks fun. And, and, and just just a little clarification, when I said this game looks like the most 6.5 out of 10 I've ever seen, 6.5 is like a pretty solid score. Like, I'm not saying like when you make a game, you should shoot for a 6.5 out of 10. But just to, just to be clear, because we live in a world where anything below like an 8 or a 9 is considered dog trash, like... A bad game starts when you get into like the five or four range, you know, four range for sure. Five, even five isn't necessarily bad. It's more like mediocre. Um, again, not that you'd ever want to shoot for anything lower than a 10 out of 10. Everyone's dream is probably to make it 10 out of 10, but I don't know. Like I, I have played many a six out of 10 style game in my life that I've uh, greatly enjoyed. Greatest game ever. No, really fun time. Good, good way to kill some free time. Yeah, for sure. So I'm okay with a, a really fun six and a half out of 10. I don't know. That's me scoring a game. I haven't even played. Look at that. All right, let's, let's move on with our general opening segment. Although our opening segment was kind of a rant on suicide squad. Let's talk about our mildly amusing stories and updates. Um, we actually got a lot this week, just of everything. Um, just tons and tons of going on people losing jobs, new studios forming, Companies bragging about money while they're 
taking people's livelihoods away. So lots of lots of fun video game related topics to get into. So let's start off with a, a kind of a feel good story um, regarding uh, Volition Games, the guys that made Saints Row. Uh, their studio was recently shut down by Embracer because Embracer sucks and doesn't know how to run a fucking studio or doesn't know how to run a publishing arm. Uh, but anyway, from Windows Central, a group of ex-Volition developers, uh, known for the Saints Row franchise, have formed a new studio called Shapeshifter Games. The team's working with InXile Entertainment, an Xbox Game Studios own team, to provide co-development support on their upcoming Clockwork Revolution. Quote, the talented and experienced team that joined Shapeshifter have hit the ground running. We have tons of support from former Volition- Volitionites, and we are truly grateful to InXile and Microsoft for their opportunity to assist in development of a great new IP, says Shapeshifter Game Studio Matt Madigan. Shapeshifter Games is a team based at Illinois in the U.S. founded by developers who worked on the now-defunct Volition. The team put the studio together following the closure last year from Embracer Group. Shapeshifter Games is a studio focused on co-development, aiding other studios that already have uh, projects underway. Quote, I was very grateful to be able to help secure a new studio and get some truly amazing developers to help um, make Clockwork a reality. Code development groups are almost a given these days, but this one is is special for us because of my long history with with them going back to the Descent and Free Space games, says Brian Fargo, studio head of Exile Entertainment. So this is a feel-good story just in the sense that, unfortunately, while not everyone at Volition, you, you do know that there are some people at least from Volition who got, you know, got shown the door last year who are now in a, 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 a position where, Hey, a, a new jobs, Hey, a new job presents itself. Um, you get to work with a bunch of your old coworkers and Hey, you get to work on this really promising looking new first party Xbox game that just, I don't know from what we saw last year at the reveal clockwork revolution looks like one of the most exciting games in development right now, or at least that we know of. So this is, this is cool. This is really exciting. We know Microsoft likes to, well, as is common the case this day, these days with all games because of just how intricate games are, how tedious they are to develop, how many hands it requires to make the cake, so to speak. Um, you know, support support work is uh, very, very common in Xbox. I mean, if you ever play anything from any Xbox team, you'll see in the credits plenty of support studios that work on these projects. So it's no surprise to see them working with a, a team like this. And I got to think this is actually kind of a smart move for them, for, the, for these X-Volition guys to be like, hey, Instead of being instead of being a team that makes our own games and then has to worry about, you know, is our next game the one that's going to get us shut down? We should just be a support team that is really competent at assisting other developers and getting their projects out the door. Because that way, you know, if, if someone else's game fails, we can always just move on to the next project because our, our job is to assist developers in getting their games out the door and not to, you know, prove to publishers that, we're going to make a game stem, you know, start to finish and, uh, and, and hopefully keep our jobs as a result of how the game performs. So this is actually kind of a smart way to remain in game development. We'll also maybe try to add some job security by, by doing that support work instead of being a primary developer. Of course, you know, it, it is a little bit, it is a, a little bit less exciting to know. It's like, you're not making your games. You're assisting other people making their games. You know, it's like, it's like being a touring musician for someone else's band as opposed to forming your own band. It's like, you know, I'm playing someone else's songs, but hey, you still get to play music live on stage in front of an audience of people, right? So it, it, bittersweet in a way, 
but a little bit of good news because as we'll talk about later on the show, everyone's losing their jobs in games, it feels like. So it is it is nice to see someone out there getting some work, especially uh, a group of people who were recently thrown, you know, dealt a pretty shitty hand. So good for them and good to hear some update on uh, on Clockwork Revolution. Sounds like this game's in a really a full swing active development state. And um, I'm very excited to see what this game becomes because it is one of my most anticipated games coming from the first party of Xbox's uh, wheelhouse. What am I saying? All right, let's move on. Spec Ops The Line. All right, so Spec o- from VGC, Spec Ops The Line has been delisted from Steam without warning. As noticed by Reddit user Lurking Dan- uh, Danger 22 the game was seemingly pulled from storefronts on digital storefronts on Monday. Players visiting the game's Steam page are now greeted with a message saying Spec Ops The Line is no longer available on the Steam store. On the Steam store, uh, it's not yet clear if the game has been delisted, but other Reddit users have speculated that it may be uh, delisted due to use of licensed music. The game features music from the likes of Jimi Hendrix, Deep Purple, and Alice in Chains. It is possible, therefore, that the license to use one or some of these tracks has expired, leaving 2K with the decision to either delist the game entirely or temporarily remove it while they renew the licenses. Spec Ops The Line was released in 2012 to general critic acclaim. In 2020, Chinese tech giant Tencent invested in Spec Ops The Line studio Jaeger Development, becoming a minority shareholder in the Berlin, Berlin-based studio. It then increased its stake in June of 2021, acquiring a majority stake of the company. Jaeger's most recent game was the first-person shooter The Cycle, Frontier, which was released in June of 2022, but shut down in June of 2023 with the deactivation of its servers, making it no longer playable. It remains to be seen what the studio is working on next. So... Uh, this is, I know, I know, this is why we need physical games. I mostly wanted to put this in here just to say, as of this morning, um, I went to my Xbox to see if I had this game, because this is a game that's been in my mental backlog forever, and so I went on my Xbox as soon as I saw the story and was like, mm, let me make sure I have this game, because I want to make sure I can play it one day, and I already I already owned it, so I was able to just download it, I don't know if it was like a, a Games with Gold or something like that one, one time. Uh, but I already had it, so I was able to re-download it. But from what I understand, it, it it's still available on the Xbox Marketplace. So until that gets pulled down, I would just just putting it out there. Go download this game. Um, for those who don't know, Spec Ops: The Line, third-person shooter, uh, released in 2012, uh, that was really highly uh, acclaimed for its its narrative. Apparently, people people really love this game. I've, I've ne- again, I've never played it, um, but it has been in my backlog for a long ass time. This is a late Xbox 360 era game. That is like, hey, what if like stealthy Call of Duty, but with like really visceral storytelling and something that's actually like deep and meaningful, apparently. So I, I've always really wanted to play this and experience it. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a first person shooter, not third. Wait, is it the first? Is it first or third? I, yeah, it's third person. Okay. I, I was right. Yeah. Third person shooter. Anyway, people really, really love this game. And um, it's just one of those things I've always wanted to, uh, I've always wanted to play it. And also Bruce Boxlitter, whatever. His name is, I don't know how to say his last name, uh, is one of the voice actors. He's one of the main voice actors in this game, and he's the voice of Tron, so we also need him. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know generally this opens up the whole the whole discussion about why we need physical games. Listen, I'm all for this. I think a lot of it has to do with just also, like, when it comes to licensing things, we need to, in the games industry, like, these publishers need to figure out ways to write these contracts better because... Most of the time, games get delisted. It's not because the publisher's like, we just don't like this game, and we don't want you to have access to it anymore, so we're delisting it. It usually 
is always about some licensing. It's like, oh, well, this game has the Coca-Cola logo in it, or this game has Welcome to the Jungle, you know, in in the game, and we don't have the license to that song anymore because we only had a 10-year license for it. And so they delist the game or whatever. Um, but, like, I don't know, like, you don't, you don't see that happen like, movies, you know? You don't see, like, oh, Netflix uh, wasn't able to get freaking, I don't know, Netflix wasn't able to get the, the Lindsay Lohan version of The Parent Trap on, on Netflix because uh, they used they used fucking Wings of an Angel by Creed um, on, on in that movie and so anyway I just I, I do feel like this is something that could be avoidable for future reference like I don't know you even see it happen sometimes where it's like oh this Activision published and developed Transformers game got delisted because they don't have the active the Transformers license license indefinitely it's like you got to figure that stuff out when you're making these licensed games or using licensed music or whatever in, in, in your game, because games need to be made with this mentality that the majority of people download video games. They get put on these digital storefronts and they need to be accessible indefinitely. We can't, we can't keep doing this. So I feel, I feel like that really more than anything is the solution, but I, I totally understand why people want there to be that whole that preservation method of physical copies and the good news is generally with these things it's as long as you own the game you can always re-download it so there's at least that but yeah this is unfortunate news and i just want to put it out there to go download this game if it's something you've ever been interested in playing but don't have um because it does seem like it's getting delisted and we don't know if it's coming back so just want to put that out there um uh, all right moving on let's talk about cliff blazinski this guy's always on 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 x saying something about gears of war uh, this this week, the Gears of War creator Cliff Blazinski was saying that Microsoft would be smart to enlist him as a consultant on the franchise. I really thought he said this before, but I guess this is, I don't know, everyone picked, it, picked up the story this time again. Uh, but in a statement that he posted on X, the former Epic Games designer claimed that despite being open to the return returning to the franchise in some capacity, he has received no contact from Microsoft or the current Gears of War studio, The Coalition. He says, quote, look, we've been over this a million times. I'm down to console. Give me, uh, give my two cents. Crickets. I understand that gears will always be an enormous part of my legacy. I appreciate and respect that. That said, Microsoft and the coalition haven't hit me up. Okay. It is what it is. If they were smart, they'd enlist me for my input just because of the uh, PR standpoint alone, it would be good, but nothing. Oh, well, it is what it is. So be it. And I, I don't know. I guess you could kind of read into this as being like a little like a little pompous or a little like full of yourself. I mean, but the fact is he, he he's not wrong and it's true. Like if they were like, Oh, all right, gears of war six is now an active development. And we're actually, uh, we actually have uh, cliff Blazinski as, uh, as working as one of the producers on the game. Um, you know, even if it's like, you know, like those, those Hollywood movies where they say like produced by Steven Spielberg, but the only input Steven Spielberg Berg had on the movie was like someone texted him. and was like, yo, Steven, what do you feel about like, giants with big feet being next to kids under the age of 12 and he's like do it make that make that big movie about the kids with this although i think it's a bad example i think he actually directed that movie but it doesn't matter you know what i'm saying like it's just like one of those things in hollywood where like they just put a guy's name on the box or they put it in the trailer like oh produced by the guys from the fast i think the sonic the hedgehog movie said (laughs) produced by the same team that brought you the fast and the furious that's how they marketed SpongeBob. So Hollywood's always doing stupid bullshit like that. So it's like, why, why, why not the same for gaming? You know. So I'm not saying you shouldn't actually have Cliff Blazinski, but it's true. Like the reason why Hollywood does stupid shit like that is because it works. Because some some dumbass is gonna be like, oh man, I wasn't gonna watch, I wasn't gonna watch Sonic the Hedgehog, but then I found out Dominic Toretto and his boys 
the his producers are going to be producing Sonic, and Sonic's fast, but so is the Fast and the Furious. Okay, I'll guess I'll watch Sonic. So some dumbass out there that that must work on. So I guess that's why. Uh, you know, as Cliff Blazinski notes here, the PR standpoint alone, like it just be, it just be, it just be good hat. It just be good for them. So I'm in total agreement. It's always nice to have that. I don't know. It reminds you a little bit of Star Wars, right? Where it's like uh, George Lucas. Like I gave him my ideas of what I think they should do for Star Wars Episode Seven, and Disney threw it in the fucking trash and made The Force Awakens instead. Where it's like I don't know. I, I mean, the Coalition and Microsoft <clears throat> should have the free will to be like, hey, this is our IP. We own it. Um, this is, this is the team that's in charge of it. And we want to give them creative control to do the story and the game that they want to do. And I respect that and appreciate that. But also if Cliff Blazinski wants to help, like give some notes and pointers on the game and just give us two cents. I mean, I feel like, I feel like even if you don't take the advice, you'd be an idiot not to at least want to have him there and for some consulting and just get his feedback on some things. You know, you never, you never know. Maybe, maybe think, wow, you, uh, you, you make some good points. I don't know. So, Cliff Blazinski, he, he's always out here talking about Gears of War. The movie, the, the games, the, the back in the day, and they don't do this anymore. I appreciate him. He's a, he's a good character on, on Twitter or on X, so follow him if you don't. He's, he's a good guy. He's a cool guy. All right. Next up, let's talk about Focus Entertainment, who are making a very questionable decision here, a very questionable uh, move. They're, I, I've said in the past how they are one of the one of the up-and-coming publishers that I admire the most, I just feel like they tend to associate themselves with some pretty good games. I, I like a lot of Focus Entertainment stuff, but we got we got some fuckery happening here, so let's get into this real quick. So, from GamesIndustry.biz, Focus Entertainment is releasing, or has released its third quarter earnings report, posting a 43% decrease. That was partially attributed to no major releases during the three months ending in, ending in December 31st, but the quarter saw revenue activity driven by its titles Insurgency Sandstorm, Plague Tale Requiem, SnowRunner, and Atomic Heart. Uh, regarding this total revenue decline of 43% for Q3, the firm noted that they released Plague Tale Requiem and Evil West during that same period last year, so it's pretty clear to see maybe why uh, there was a decline year over year. Additionally, Focus Entertainment said that revenue for the period includes activity from its newly established audiovisual production play from Script Team. The game's firm also announced that as of April 1st this year, they will be rebranding their company from Focus Entertainment to Pull Up Entertainment. P-U-L-L-U-P with a capital P on the end. The earnings report <clears throat> added that Pull Up Entertainment will consist of its three core business divisions, Focus Entertainment Publishing, the Arcade Crew, and its development studios. Focus Entertainment Publishing is a spin-off of the firm's publishing operations, will be led by the deputy managing director, John Burt. Meanwhile, the publishing unit focuses on independent titles and retro gaming. CEO uh, Dotomy and deputy managing director Cyril Lambert, they're French, please go easy on me, uh, will oversee the arcade crew. Finally, Focus Studios division includes uh, Deck 13, Developers Deck 13, Sh uh, Strumon, 12 Tenths, Leak Here Studios, Blackmail, uh, Dovetail, and Carpool Studio. Regarding game launches, Banisher's Ghost of New Eden, developed by Don't Nod, the Life is Strange creator, is slated as the upcoming release for its fourth quarter on February 13th. So just a few weeks here. Yeah, I mean, so I'm not really worried about the, the financial thing there, whatever. 
they they seem to be doing well. Um, it, their report goes into more detail, showing that they're actually their their revenue is up and up and up and up every quarter based on legacy content. So people like going into their back catalog and exploring their older games. Um, and <clears throat> I mean these these results mainly speak for Plague Tale is like their biggest IP they have. So the fact that a new a new Plague Tale came out in 2022 around that time, and then this year they had no releases. I mean, yeah, that explains the huge drop in that quarter year over year earnings, right? Um, the the bigger story here is is the rebrand, the remarketing. Listen, so first they were Focus. What were they? Focus Home Interactive. That was my favorite one. Was Focus Home Interactive. Then they changed to Focus Entertainment, which was like. That's decidedly worse, but the important thing is it was called Focus because I think Focus is just a really cool name. Honestly, they could just drop entertainment and just be called Focus, and that would be really awesome. But now I'm offended. Now I'm personally offended because their new name <coughs> is Pull Up Entertainment. This is the dumbest name ever. This is the this is the dumbest name for dumbest people. If you think this name is not dumb, then you are dumb. That is a fact. And I don't know. I understand they're a French publisher, so maybe pull up in France is like some cool thing you say when you're trying to court a French woman at a cafe while you're chain smoking cigarettes and it's cool and you guys don't wear your deodorant and then you go marching the streets and tearing things down because uh, because you're French and it's what you do. But in a in, in the United States and a lot of the world, when we think about the word pull up, we think about uh, diapers, we think about adult diapers, we think about kids that are incapable of using the toilet by themselves. Like this is not a cool name. This is not the kind of name you would, you know, you wouldn't, Oh, you're in a band. What's your band called? My band's called pull up. We're called pull up. Yeah. We make awesome punk rock music. We're called pull up and we're not even remotely embarrassed to admit that that's what we're called. This is a bad name and someone should be, uh, since, since we're so into firing everyone in the games industry, they should find the people responsible for this specific rebranding and fire them. Uh, and I don't mean that, but I am saying it, and so fire them. Um, th- yeah, yeah. This name is trash. The only reason I could think that maybe they would want to change their name from Focus Entertainment <clears throat> might be because there is that movie, there's that movie studio or that movie distribution company called Focus, isn't there? Yeah, there's a there's a movie studio called Focus, and they're pro- presumably some L.A. based American company. Uh, let me see, Focus Movies. Let me see where they're based out of, because I know Focus Entertainment, or my bad, Pull Up is a um is a is a French uh, company. Yeah, here's Focus Features, and Focus Features is an American independent film production distribution company owned by Comcast. Yeah, so it's Universal NBC. Okay, well, I I mean I guess they get that named all themselves. Focus Features. It's a good name for a movie studio. So I don't know. I don't know if maybe they thought there was some confusion or they did some research that suggested people thought that Focus Entertainment was like a video game division spinoff of Focus Features and maybe was therefore part of the Comcast NBC Universal family. I don't know what the fuck happened that um that that we ended up here, but I just you know, there's nothing actual thought provoking to say other than to just reiterate once again, um, pull up is a stupid name. And if you name your your your, uh, your if you rebrand yourself to pull up, then um, you might as well just sell yourself to Mark Zuckerberg at that point because, or no 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 that's Meta and Facebook. Well, that's a stupid name too. But what's what's the word? No, uh, Google fucking Alphabet. Are you kidding me? When Google renamed themselves to Alphabet, you have one of the most ubiquitous made up bullshit names in the world with Google that everyone knows what that is, and that that word holds so much value. And you rebrand to Alphabet? 
go fuck yourself. So pull up alphabet meta X. I'm sick and tired. You get out of my face. All right. Uh, where are we? Oh, last one. All right. So let's go over to VGC for our last opening story before we get into the uh, what I've been playing and in the, in the main news this week. So Xbox Design Labs, here's a fun one, right? This is a nice little fun one. We don't have to talk about someone who lost their job or someone doing a dumb name. So following leaks earlier in the week, Microsoft announced the Vapor series of Xbox Design Lab custom controllers. According to Microsoft, each controller features a dynamic pattern that is unique to every controller, meaning that every controller produced will be slightly different. These controllers are available in the Xbox Design Lab starting this week, alongside the already available selection of customized buttons and analog sticks. Alongside the non-customizable Dream Vapor Special Edition controller that's available in select markets priced at $70, the collection of hoodies uh, is also available uh, and it's inspired by the new controller designs. Um, so that's available as of this week as well. The Icon Collection Vapor Hoodie is available in three colors, <coughs> each of which feature different swirl patterns. An updated version of the uh, Arctic Camo Special Edition Xbox One controller, which features the Xbox Series X and S in the U.S., will also reportedly be released in Europe next month, and it's estimated to launch between February 13th and 20th, priced at $70 U.S. This one's really cool. I don't know, like, you got, if you haven't seen this, you should you should look it up. But these these color patterns are actually fucking awesome they're like these swirly dynamic camo-y style not camo more like tie-dye than anything but i don't know that even that's not really doing justice like they're very pretty these designs and uh i just love that xbox continues to put money in this yeah there's this one there's this one sample picture which shows like these three people holding different controllers i love this one where it's like that purpley pink swirly color but then the analog sticks and bumpers are all like lime green and the d-pads like that metallic red that's i don't know why that looks so good i don't know i just i love that they keep doubling down on this this crazy fucking uh xbox design lab studio stuff um it is a lot of fun and uh this i still have yet to do a design lab controller but man this makes me more than ever really want to just finally jump the gun and, and, and do one of these things so anyway shout out to that thought it was really cool definitely check those out those those designs are really fun um worst case scenario i mean that, that website's always just a good time to just play around with design some controller even if you're not going to buy one but um yeah so there's that and uh that's gonna do it for all of our opening news stories this week you guys let's uh move over move on over to the games i've been playing this week before we get into the big news talk about the big xbox layoffs and some some activision stuff um but before we talk about the games i've been playing before we talk about the news this week i gotta first tell you about what it is I've been eating, uh, because I, I have something I'm very excited to talk about with you guys this week, actually. I feel like I've been letting you down a little bit lately. I'm like, ooh, I'm calorie counting. I'm drinking water bottles. Like, that's that's not fun. Um, Taco Bell overhauled their value menu at, at the beginning of this year, and I, I, made, uh, I made reference to it on an earlier podcast, but um, after a couple of weeks of being a good boy, I decided, you know, it's time to splurge a little bit do a little something special so i went ahead and on friday night i went to try all the new items on the value menu and when i say all the new items on the value menu there's only a couple things um some items or carryovers so like they still have like the spicy potato soft taco they still have like the cheesy double beef burrito so some things are just carryovers like the cheesy fiesta potatoes and stuff but there are a couple of items that are brand new items, and I want to talk about those with you right now. So I got a cheesy double beef burrito just to make sure it still tasted the same, and lo and behold, it still tastes the same. But there are three items that are brand new. So let's start off with the double stacked taco. This is um, a poor man's cheesy gordita crunch uh, where you've got where you've got a hard shell taco 
with a bunch of cheese sauce on the outside wrapped in a soft shell taco shell. So you got soft shell, soft, soft shell, hard shell, cheese sauce in the middle. And then the, the, the taco is loaded with beef, crispy strips, cheese, lettuce, and it's only two bucks. So now to keep in mind, the value menu isn't as value focused as it used to be. A lot of these items are like two fifty, three dollars It's not like the old days where Taco Bell would be like, well, I, I remember being a kid. They would like advertise like 89 cent tacos. No, those, those days are over. But for $2, I think this is pretty pretty fine. Again, poor man's cheesy gordita crunch for sure. Not as good as a cheesy gordita crunch, but it is pretty good, and I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, I enjoy it. It's one of those things where it's like I might get one of these every once in a blue moon, but it's not that I'm going crazy about. You know, I'd rather have a I'd rather have a cheesy gordita crunch or a chalupa or something any day over this. But for the value, it's not bad. I just I feel like you can get something more filling and more substantial on the value menu, you know, for the same money. So that's the first item. Not bad. Welcome addition. I'm sure some people will love it. The second thing here, the second two items I'm much more ecstatic about, okay? So the second item here is the stacker. This thing looks like a quesadilla that's just been folded into one triangle. And uh, when they served it to me, when they, when they packaged it, they literally just packaged it like a regular quesadilla. So if you look at the picture, it's like a three, it's like three triangles of a quesadilla stacked on top of each other. But my packaging was just literally a regular Taco Bell quesadilla. Um, but all it has in there is just beef and cheese. Now for 20 cents extra, I added onions. So mine had beef, cheese, and onions. Listen, man, this thing cost $2 and 19 cents at my lock, my, my local Taco Bell, my local Taco Bell, please. I'm sorry. I'm sick. I'm, I'm speaking like shit. My local Taco Bell charges $2 and 19 cents for this thing. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a quesadilla from Taco Bell. Those things are so overpriced. They're like five to six dollars for a quesadilla at taco bell it's bullshit but this value menu quesadilla is two dollars the only difference is it doesn't have that special sauce that the taco bell quesadillas have and you get like beef instead of like chicken or steak so i don't know man i think for the value alone this is a massive win like this is a really really good value as far as flavor goes it's not as good as like the traditional quesadilla like the chicken or steak quesadilla with the quesadilla sauce that has a little bit of that like chipotle spicy creamy kick um but it is very it is very good and the onions were a great addition to mine i thought mine was definitely a lot better because of the onions and i thought hey for two dollars and 19 cents this is a fucking steal so that's something i will absolutely get again and i highly recommend and then the last one the last new item they have here and this is a classic instance of saving the best for last uh, I, I did these in order from the the weakest to the best although i like all three of these items um but anyway this last item here such a fucking knockout the three cheese chicken flatbread melt <laughs> hollow fucking lula lula there we go hallelujah they brought back the flatbread so taco bell over the years has on and off had this fucking flatbread tortilla thing they, they, they did it in 2013 and then again like 2014 or 15 where they sold like an actual like big ass chicken or steak flatbread. This is like a mini version of that. Um, so it's like a smaller flatbread tortilla, which is an all new type of thing. It's not the chalupa shell. It's not the soft taco shell. It's nothing like that. It's a, it's a flatbread shell. And it just has chicken, cheese, and I think it has something else in there too. It might have, oh yeah, it has the creamy chipotle sauce. So yeah, so two things. I, I love this item. This is this is like a must get. It's a little expensive for the value menu. It's $2.30, but 
it's delicious and worth it, and I will get it every fucking time now. This is a staple item for me going forward because the price is still pretty good and because these are delicious. So it is like, what if we brought back, back the flatbreads that we used to have 10 years ago and we combined it with the chicken griller that we had on the menu about four or five years ago it's like the best of both of those items combined into one so the old loaded chicken grillers that was on the value menu like two or three menus ago where it was a tortilla it had chicken sour cream creamy chipotle and cheese all wrapped up and then they grilled the tortilla like that that thing was amazing that is basically like all the contents of that item but in a flatbread instead of a grilled tortilla and it is very very good so i'm very much Big thumbs up on this one, like a very huge advocate of this. Um, it is high on calorie count because, I mean, these flatbread shells are, you know, they're, they're no good. It's 320 calories for one of these, and they're not very big. But if you don't get one, your friends might laugh at you, and you might look like a fucking idiot. So I recommend you definitely get the three cheese chicken flatbread melt. So I don't know. Overall, I think Taco Bell's value menu with this new refresh, while, of course, the prices are up because nothing is affordable anymore, I do think the actual food items themselves are quite good. Double stack taco, solid. Nothing I'm going to get time and time again, but every now and again, it might, might be a nice little addition. Stacker slash AKA freaking cheap quesadilla. Excellent. Really, really good. Uh, three cheese chicken flatbread melt, a new staple item. Just such a such a great addition to the menu. And then we hold the cheesy double beef burrito, which is already such a great staple of the value menu. So oh, all in all, Taco Bell, I, I know the Crunchwrap Supreme is amazing. I know the chicken chalupas are the best. But I don't know if you're like me and, you, and you're always trying to save a uh, save a dollar or two wherever you can. I'd say this this value menu is good enough that you can pretty much just reliably eat off the value menu and nothing else at Taco Bell going forward because that's how good these items are. But that's that's just my input. Let me know what you guys think if you tried any of these, if you plan on trying any of these. But shout out to Taco Bell, your value menu is very strong right now. You you, you guys you put out a lot of garbage throughout the years, but um, right now your value menu quite good. All right, so that's it for what I've been eating. Let's move on to the web I've been playing. Spoiler alert, Batman Arkham. I'm still working on that. I'm about, <coughs> I don't know, I'm a little over like halfway through the game. So I do plan on wrapping that up in the next couple of days here. Thankfully, if all goes well, knock on wood, um, this weekend is like a free weekend. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be an adult. I don't have to go anywhere. So my plan is to stay home, clean the house, play the video games, maybe eat the Taco Bell value menu again play video games, but I'm, I'm really enjoying this game. I actually, I've been thinking about it because we were talking about it on the podcast recently. I think Batman, the jump from Batman Arkham City in 2011 on the 360 to Batman Arkham Knight in 2015 on the Xbox One might be the most perfect example of what I'm talking about when I talk about that change, that jump from the Xbox 360 era of video games into the Xbox One era, which I think we're still in. Like, games are very much still made with that very similar, very similar attitude and mentality. And so let me expand on what I mean by that. So a game like Batman Arkham City, it has relatively good storytelling for a video game, but it's very much gameplay focus. Its primary focus is on gameplay. And you play a game like Batman Arkham City, and you feel the Xbox 360-ness of the time in which it was made and released. But a game like Batman Arkham Knight feels like what if we took batman arkham city we took the bones of what that game was we make it incredibly beautiful looking we make it incredibly cinematic feeling and we just tweak all the animations and character interactions and set piece moments to make the game just feel so movie like so cinematic 
And for better and for worse, I love slash hate this 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 reality of where we are in gaming. Because on the one hand, I'm playing Batman Arkham Knight. I'm like, I, I'm just so dumbfounded how beautiful this game is like the weather effects the rainfall the debris flying around gotham city the game looks incredible i can't believe this game's from 2015 it looks like it came out yesterday it looks so so good and it's so awesome when you know like you're walking around and you're haunted by these visions of joker and it feels so cinematic because like you'll be facing this one side of the room and this vision of joker will appear and he's talking to you and then you turn and you look at like an air vent up in the up in the ceiling which is where you're supposed to look because you're trying to like grapple up there or something. And then you grapple up there and now Joker is there in the air vents and he like appears and it has this very natural, like the game knows where you're going to look, where you're going to go. And then it draws like in game character interactions and character moments in those directions to make, to make the flow of the narrative match the flow of your gameplay so that your gameplay is never interrupted but your but that cinematic feel and that narrative aspect is is always going and evolving, and so I, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's 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 more than just like oh the writing got better and oh the cinematics look better, you know it's like the game feels more cinematic, you know you're using the Batmobile to like uh, to like grapple onto this 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 wall that looks like it's a little worn and you're gonna you're gonna grab this like um do like the hook shot into the wall and then pull it back so you can peel the wall out and then drive off a ramp into a building or something like that but like they have to make all the even though you're playing the game and you're like hook shotting and driving in reverse and ripping the wall off and then jump and then like trick jumping off of a fucking rooftop into another building or something like that even though you're playing all that and it's gameplay they just make it feel and look all so cinematic and it's I just I, I don't really know how to put it into words other than to just give you specific examples like that but you can just feel how gaming went from just like cutscenes and gameplay and cutscenes and gameplay to like this blur between like dialogue and cutscenes and exposition and narrative and all, all all happening through gameplay all the time and you just you just feel it and that's what I don't know when I think about like what changed from the Xbox 360 to the Xbox One generation, it's like that's the stuff that made games feel next generation because I I, I distinctly remember the power bump, like the fidelity bump, the graphical bump in that generation feeling very underwhelming. Like, oh, this wasn't as big of a jump as like Xbox, to Xbox 360, or like Super Nintendo to N64 or something like that, you know? But it was like it's like the way games were made is what made games feel next gen the way that like developers were just more experienced and savvy and they just knew how to make things feel more seamless and cinematic and just narrative driven. And I don't know, like that's my big takeaway coming right off of Arkham city going straight into Arkham Knight, is that it just feels like what if Gotham city, but a next gen version of it. And it's, it's really cool. Like the combat just feels so much more fluid, looks so much better. The finishing moves, all the combat animations are just so much more animation. There's so many more ways Batman can do the same exact thing just to give it that visual style that he's not just like some static video game character that does the exact same punch every time you press X on the controller, you know? And so it's just, there's just so much, uh, it's just such a beautiful fucking game to look at while you're playing it. And so I love it, and I say for better or for worse because I also think this is the stuff that's like the downfall of games because th these are the little details that make games so difficult to make because all these little details, all these little animations, all these thoughtful ways of, of doing things is what makes games take six, seven, eight years to make as opposed to back in the day when we used to be like, 
gameplay, cutscene, gameplay, cutscene. It's like, cool, I can get a game out in three years. Um, that, I mean, that's that's the difference between where we once were and where we are today. And so, I don't know, is it always necessary for a game to look and feel and be this immersive and this groundbreaking and stunning? It's No, I don't think it's always necessary, but this is a perfect example of, uh, of a game doing that very well in justifying its evolution. Like this is a, this is a sequel that takes what it's learned from its previous entry and shows you how it can grow and how it can change and become an evolution of, of its former self. And I just, I don't know, it's been such a joy to play these games back to back to back and, and feel the, the confined, the confined Metroidvania style, uh, linear experience of the first one into the open world experience that the second one offers into the next generation, like genre pushing version of the third game. And it's just, it's just been really cool to see all that. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying getting through this game. Um, hopefully wrap it up this week. Cause I really want to get to justice. League. I'm just, it's, it's not that I'm not enjoying the game. It's just that I'm very eager now to get into justice league. And so I kind of have that weird feeling where it's like, I know I'm enjoying the game. I don't want to rush it, but also I kind of want to get through it because I want to be ready to go play justice league so or uh, suicide squad killed justice league so anyway that's it for what i've been playing this week that's it for what i've been eating this week and now with that all said <laughs> i say we take a quick little break and then we jump into the uh the, the main news segments of the week let's talk about these layoffs yay all right and we're back let's jump right into the news basically it's just like two big news stories both with a couple of uh other pieces of news so we just like i, I don't know it's like multiple entries of news that have tied into two major stories Starting with the obvious one, the one that broke the day last week's podcast went live. So, you know, at this point, you've probably heard it from every other Xbox source out there. Um, But, you know, now it's our turn to talk about it. So last Thursday, well, let's just read from IGN because IGN was actually the one that initially broke the story. So IGN reports Microsoft is cutting 1,900 staff from its video game workforce, sources told IGN. In a message to staff used by IGN, Xbox boss Phil Spencer said Microsoft will provide full support to those who are impacted during the transition, including severance benefits informed by local employment laws. IGN asked Microsoft for comment. The layoffs come following the $69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard and the exit of the controversial former boss, Bobby Kotick. Microsoft currently is worth more than $3 trillion, the second company to ever break that threshold other than Apple. So what a nice way to celebrate them currently being valued as the, the highest value company. So let's yeah, celebrate that by laying off 2000 people. Here's uh, Phil Spencer's full memo that was released to staff. So I'm going to read this. It's long, but let's just get through it. <clears throat> Quote, it's been a little over three months since the Activision Blizzard King teams joined Microsoft. As we move forward to 2024, a leadership of Microsoft Gaming and Activision Blizzard is committed to aligning on a strategy and an execution plan with the sustainable cost structure that will support the whole of our ga- our growing business. Together, we've set priorities, identified areas of overlap, and ensured that we're all aligned on what the best opportunities for growth. As part of this process, we have made the painful decision to reduce the size of our gaming workforce by approximately 1,900 roles out of our 22,000 people on our team. The gaming leadership team and I are committed to navigating this process as thoughtfully as possible. The people who directly imp- are directly impacted by these reductions have all played important parts in the success of Activision Blizzard, Zenimax, and the Xbox teams, and they should be proud of everything they've accomplished here. We are grateful for all of the creativity, passion, and dedication that you've brought to our, ga- our games, our players, and our colleagues, and we will provide our full support to those who are impacted during the transition, including severance benefits informed by local employment laws, which is a weird thing to say. Those who uh, those whose roles will be impacted will be notified, and will uh, and we will ask 
that you please treat your departing uh, colleagues with the respect and compassion that is consistent with our values. Looking ahead, we'll continue to invest in areas that will grow our business and support our strategy of bringing more games to more players around the world. Although this is a difficult moment for our team, I'm as confident as ever in your ability to create and nurture the game's stories and worlds that bring players together. Phil. I know we like Phil. He's he's an easy guy to like, but that is just a... Especially that last paragraph there. It's like, shut up, bro. (laughs) Like, no one wants to hear that. Anyway, um, well, let's let's finish up this first story and then we'll and then we'll stop and talk for a little bit. Um, as part of the layoffs, Blizzard Entertainment president Mikey Barra, who was formerly part of Xbox before leaving to Blizzard and then becoming part of Xbox again via the acquisition, uh, he announced that he is leaving the company. He joined Blizzard in 2019 after he left Xbox. Mikey Barra's full statement that he posted on X is as follows: "Quote." I want to thank everyone who's impacted today uh, for their meaningful contributions to their teams, to Blizzard, to the players' lives. It's an incredibly hard day, and my energy and support will be focused on those amazing individuals impacted. This is in no way a reflection of your amazing work. If there's anything I can do to help, uh, anything I can do to help with connections, recommendations, etc., DM me. To the Blizzard community, I also want to let you know that today is my last day at Blizzard, leading Blizzard through the incredible time and being part of the team, shaping it for some future ahead was an absolute honor having already spent 20 plus years at Microsoft and with the acquisition of Activision Blizzard behind us it's time for me once again to become Blizzard's biggest fan from the outside to the to the most incredible teams at Blizzard thank you words can express how I feel about all of you your amazing continued efforts blah 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 player every day and to those impacted I'm always available to understand how challenged today blah, blah, blah. my heart's with you whatever Blizzard's chief design officer and co-founder Alan Adham is also leaving the developer behind uh, World of Warcraft, Diablo, and Overwatch. Its long-in-development survival game, dubbed Odyssey, is now officially canceled. And in December 2022, Mikey Barra said that the team was working on it, <clears throat> that the team that was working on the game had doubled over the previous year with plans to grow it even further. Tweets from Blizzard staff have now lost their jobs, suggesting the entire survival team has been let go. And a source told IGN, that Microsoft's gaming teams had already suffered significant cuts to marketing budgets before the staff were even told of the layoffs. So that's a good stopping point there. And then we'll continue on with the other aspects of this, this evolving story. Headhunting Halo writes in and says, Xbox back at it again with layoffs of around 1,900 people from, uh, from Activision and ZeniMax. Makes me sad, but still love Xbox. I've been playing Power World for 23 hours. <laughs> Tell me why I can't just go out. In the world saying you increase your XP to five instead of one. Please make me miss blah, 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 blah. Power World thing is not relevant, but uh, Xbox thing is. This is obviously shit all the way around. We've been talking about this ad nauseum with every other team, and now it's Xbox's turn. Although Microsoft had some big layoffs last year, early in the year, some of which were gaming related, but most of which weren't. And now Xbox directly is having heavy gaming layoffs. So uh, there's there's a million ways we can attack this, and I should have written bullet points or something just so i can make sure we touch on these all all these but i'll I'll try to be as thorough as possible while also trying to be succinct uh, which is two things i'm not good at first thing first is it's very under it is inevitable that with the acquisition of, of activision blizzard there would be redundancies it doesn't take a freaking inside expert to understand that activision has 
a freaking HR team and an accounting guy and, and this and that, you know, like in all these kinds of like things that Activision had to have because they were their own company and Microsoft already has because they're their own other company. And when you mash all this shit together, there's going to be redundancies. And I'm trying to give you like a really stupid baseline example to make it just blatantly obvious. Like obviously there are going to be redundancies in jobs where certain types of production roles and administrative roles. And you assume that unfortunately there will be layoffs as a result of them being like, Hey, we got all of these <coughs> people along with the Activision acquisition that we don't need because Xbox already has a team that does that. Xbox already has um, a department that handles that type of deal. And so that's what you kind of expected. And I, I know I said many times before while we were talking about the acquisition doing, during the trials and over the course of the two years that we were talking about the deal that this was going to be an inevitability at one point would be a, a round of layoffs due to you know, overlap in job duties. So that's one thing. But the, the, what, what makes me sick about this process is that 2000, 1900 people, that sounds like a little, like that sounds like more than just redundancies. And they kind of, they don't directly try to play it off as like, Oh, we're just laying off people whose jobs are redundant, but they do kind of allude to it as if it's like a motivating factor, or like maybe the most, uh, like the biggest factor, like they kind of, as if they're trying to like kind of not directly, but in a way shift the blame to that. But it's like, it's 1900 people. That's you're clearly at that point, like cutting into the meat and bones of, of, of these teams and of these, uh, of these companies that you've acquired. So we also know because since this story has come out, there've been reports from individuals and, and from teams that are like, Hey, you know, like apparently like over a quarter of the team at toys for Bob, the guys that make Skylanders that do call of duty support got laid off. And we know that like, Apparently, a bunch of people at all of the Call of Duty studios got laid off, uh, particularly uh, Sledgehammer, which is the team that made the most recent Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 3. Um, so they're currently in the in the position of trying to do support work on Modern Warfare 3, a game they just launched, and they just lost a sizable chunk of their team. And then we also know a lot of people from Infinity Ward lost their jobs as well. And so it's, it's becoming blatantly apparent that people losing their jobs are also developers and people who aren't overlapping in responsibilities and things like that. There are also some people at Xbox that lost their jobs and also some ZeniMax people as well, but we know a lot less about those. And anytime there's there's like a, a, a mass layoff like this, it's always an opportunity for teams to look inward and say, okay, well, this is an excuse to get rid of those people that you regret hiring or haven't performed as well, or you just don't like because due to internal company politics. And so unfortunately and inevitably, those people are always going to be ones to get, you know, get the boot during instances like this as well. So you can assume that that's a part of this as well. But the thing is 1900 people is just way too much people for us to be like, Oh yeah, we, we already have a tax account and we don't need another one of those. So that's, that's the first thing that's like extra shitty because if it was like, Oh, we're laying off 200 people due to overlap in roles. It's like, man, it sucks so much. But unfortunately that's the reality of when two companies merge together. All right. So put, put a pin in that for a second. The next thing I want to say is everyone, you know, I, at the beginning of the Microsoft is going to buy Activision thing that happened two years ago, when that when that story first broke, my attitude was very much like, oh, I don't like this. Consolidation's bad. Consolidation's bad. I'm not a fan of this. I don't want this to happen. And I tried and tried over the course of those two years to become more optimistic about it, mostly because I knew it was inevitable and it was going to happen anyway. 
but also because like, I don't want to be this Debbie Downer that's just here every week talking about why you're dumb if you want this to happen and why people shouldn't be excited. Like, I don't want to tell people not to be excited if they're excited. Life has so little to look forward to. I don't want to be the one to rob you of your joy. Like, so I, I tried to be like optimistic about it and not complain as much. Like as the story went on and on and on, it became more of like, I'm just tired of hearing about this and less of, I don't want this merger to happen. But I, I do just want to point out that in the three months since Microsoft acquired Activision Blizzard, they have lost key talent from higher up position. They've laid off. We don't know of the 1900, how many of them are Activision Blizzard, but you can assume at least half of them were, if not a majority. So they've laid off a shit ton of people and we haven't gotten a single benefit from it as Xbox consumers, not a single Activision gaming game pass, not a single Blizzard benefit or whatever the fuck Blizzard players get. I don't know. I try not to pay attention to Blizzard because I don't want to have sex with a monkey man in a robot costume, like all you fucking Overwatch fans. And so I don't know. It's like, we've gotten nothing out of it. Lots of people have lost their jobs. Corporate shakeups have happened. A bunch of really bad people made made out rich. I keep thinking about obviously the 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 obvious one everyone po- points to, Bobby Kotick and his and his little fucking posse and how all those little fuckers made out like rich thieves. Uh, but also like I think of like that uh, Lulu Cheng Mesery lady who's just so fucking cringy, who um, was like some corporate lawyer person for Activision who was like all over Twitter during the the trial during all the court hearings and stuff and she's like talking about the players want this this is what's best for the players mm, I don't think PlayStation is really concerned about what's best for the people and she was like such a fucking cringy ass little corporate piece of shit about what's best for Xbox and what's best for the players and all these fucking weird ass like monkey looking Xbox fanboys were all like Ah, ah, yes, this is what we need. We need this. Uh, we need uh, Lulu Chang. She's our girl. She's our girl. Oh, PlayStation's so stupid. We need this. We need Call of Duty and Game Pass. And then that bitch fucking took her money and ran the second this deal finished. Hmm. Did she care about the players? Or did she just care about her fucking payday? Because she's gone. Bobby and his ilk are gone. A bunch of executives are gone. We just lost Mikey Barr to Blizzard, which is a fucking gem of a human being to have. His name is only attached to great things. And now... Hundreds of people, presumably over a thousand people between Activision Blizzard and King have just lost their jobs. So if we're, if we're keeping score, Xbox buying Activision has been a net negative to the world. Nothing, not a single good thing has happened. I mean, yes, Bobby Kotick is out of power, but is he like, I mean, he's not in charge of Call of Duty anymore, but the fucking guy's got enough money to buy your grandma. Like, it's like, I don't. I don't fucking know what to say. I'm not trying to be negative just for the sake of being negative, but like this is this is like wow, this is a real fucking low blow. For 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 reference, when Microsoft bought uh, Bethesda, within within a couple months, it was like oh, and you can play this on Game Pass, and we got Wolfenstein and Doom and Skyrim and Fallout, and it's all in Game Pass. And I was like cool, 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 cool. Microsoft buys Activision. It's like and you're fired, and you're fired, and you can't play this game in Game Pass. And fuck you, you your kids are gonna go hungry. It's like all right, well this this fucking sucks. All in the same week that Microsoft is bragging about, oh, we're a three trillion dollar company, highest valued company on in the stock exchange. Oh, we're fucking awesome. Disgusting. I know at the end of the day, Phil Spencer is a mouthpiece for the the greater corporation he represents, but shameful. Like this note is disgusting, and the the stance he has to take because it's his job is slimy and gross. And I have no respect for this this situation and the position he's in and the people who made who made these decisions and made these cuts because this is fucking gross. And the 1900 people that just lost their job at the end of the day, it's like that is nothing. That's that's literally nothing. That is way less than a drop in the bucket 
for a $3 trillion company. But for 1,900 people, it's your livelihood. And I'm like, wow, fuck that. So I don't know. It's It, it seems like Microsoft buying Activision has been pretty much the worst fucking thing um, that could have happened for for either parties. And um, yeah, I mean, that that sucks. Now, as for the Mikey Barra thing, that, that part's really, really curious because they, they make it clear because Matt Booty put out a statement about it too on, online. And they, it's really weird because they, <laughs> they made it seem like it was a mutual agreement between Microsoft or between Xbox and Mikey Barra for him to walk. But like Mikey Barra has also been, I mean, in the few years he's been at Blizzard, he's been incredibly vocal about like, it's been his fucking dream to work at Blizzard. Just like Rod Ferguson, since he's left the coalition has been super vocal about how it's been his dream to work on Diablo. And like both of these guys, it's like huge Xbox talent that went over to Blizzard that have just been like so vocal about what, like what a dream come true. It's been for them to work with team Blizzard. And then the second Microsoft's like, all right, we're doing shakeups and we're buying Activision Blizzard and Mikey Barrier coming back into the fold. He's like, I'm good. I'll leave. So was he pushed out the first time? Was he pushed out the second time? Is there bad blood between the two? Is that why he left in the first place? Like, what is the story here? Because maybe it's nothing. Maybe it really is nothing. Maybe there, there's a very amicable relationship between the former Xbox executives and Mikey Barra, but it seems like there's some bad blood. Because you would you would think, much like I assumed, much like I know many people assume that when Microsoft was going to acquire Blizzard, it was like, oh my God, they're going to get Rod Ferguson back and they're going to get Mikey Barra back. And it's a win-win because those guys get to stay with with Blizzard, but they also get to be back into the Xbox fold. So maybe they can expand their role in some way and somehow be able to contribute to the to the Xbox brand again in some way while also getting to do what they want to do by working for Blizzard. Like this is a win-win, right? And the guy fucking bounces the second he ha- he can, despite only being here for a few years. And during those few years, bragging and bragging about how dream come true, biggest Blizzard fan in the world. All right, now what's he gonna go do? So he's gone. And that's that's a huge red flag. Microsoft cancels. Or we'll, we'll get into that in a second because that's the next story. But I don't know. It's like I, I don't want to dwell on it too hard because it's like I I know I can get a little too self serving with my thoughts, and I know we're like a week late to this story just because of how the timing lined up. And you've probably heard a million other Xbox podcasts and a million YouTube videos talking about this, but I don't know, man, it's just weird. Like even right down to that, like comment Phil said about like severance packages. I don't know if it's worded that way just for like legality sake, since Microsoft is a company that employs people, you know, in all corners of the world. But like they're talking about, severance packages that are uh what, what is let me pull up the exact quote so yeah it's, he's okay here he says severance severance benefits informed by local employment laws and i'm just thinking about like one epic and um what's the other one what's the league of legends one why why, why am I, riot like when they had layoffs recently and it's like you almost couldn't even be mad about how they handled the layoffs because these companies are so fucking unfathomably rich that they were able to offer severance packages where it's like six months of full pay plus full benefits and will assist find it will assist you in finding a new work and all like they just had insane kinds of benefits but microsoft gives this like super cold dry severance benefits informed by local employment laws well Dan, if you're Microsoft, if you're a thrill three trillion dollar company, I don't want you basing my severance package based on local employment laws because you know you know what's always like the lowest of the low, the lowest common denominator, the shittiest option, whatever the fucking local law is, because everything government sucks ass. So it's like I don't know, man. The local law is probably like, oh, you gotta give them two weeks notice and a quarter of a paycheck. It's like you got you. 
I don't know, you're Microsoft, man. If you're going to lay off 1,900 people, at least at least give them the fucking tech company suite of like, oh yeah, you get six months of pay or at least three months of pay or like just something. Like you get health benefits for a long ass time. You got to offer something good, but that's just, and again, this assuming it's bad is, is a total, that's totally on me because he, he doesn't deliberately say what the package is, but it just, it just sounds weird. It sounds mechanical. It sounds robotic. It sounds very legal and just doesn't, it, there's just no humanity to these words at all. And I, I know, I, I know a memo like this isn't written by Phil Spencer. Phil Spencer doesn't sit down at home, you know, with a, with a dimly lit candle and a cup of coffee on his surface pro nine and, and go, okay, well, how, how do I want to word this email? You know? That's not how this works. Like a legal team essentially writes the email in, in Phil Spencer's probably one of a couple of people who are in on what should be on the email and what, how should it sound and how, you know, what, what kind of points do we want to touch on? Like he's not, this isn't Phil Spencer's words directly. I get that. But like, fuck man, it's cold. It's fucking cold. It just sounds robotic. It sounds heartless. It sounds like it's just, it just, it sounds like a legal speech. <laughs> it's just weird. So I don't know. All in all, it sucks. I know, like, at the end of the day, like, something good will come out of this deal for consumers, I, I guess. At the end of the day, that's all it's about, right? It was making Xbox look good so PlayStation could look bad or whatever. But, like, fuck, man, this sucks. Oh, <coughs> the last thing I wanted to bring up. Yeah, the last thing I wanted to bring bring up. So, so we've already talked about, like, how weird it is that, like, with the acquisition of Activision Blizzard, you're going to acquire some really serious higher leadership talent that you might want to bring over to Xbox because Xbox could use a little bit of that. Cause even though, again, I like Phil Spencer uh, and these guys, but like, I don't know, like is Matt booty, the guy for the job is Phil Spencer. Like really does, does he really know what he's doing? It's like, why are all these games delayed? Why are we not getting games consistently? Why is halo infinite the way it is? Like, you know, it's like so many questions and no answers. You would think it'd be really smart to keep some of that key leadership at Activision and maybe start to have them and then also the key leadership at Bethesda and have those guys kind of bleed over to Team Xbox a little more and, and, and lean on them to help help steer your ship, right? And I think really the most ignorant, blindsided thing you could possibly do would be to buy Activision, immediately clean house and immediately take over like you know what's best. Like at the very least, the smartest thing Xbox could do would be acquire Activision Blizzard and even if it's just a huge waste of money, it doesn't matter, you're a three trillion fucking dollar company. Let Activision Blizzard operate on its own for a year or two. Let like sit back and watch how they do what they do and learn from them. There's so much listen, man, there is not a single game in the entire industry like Call of Duty. A full triple A blockbuster experience that comes out each and every year like clockwork. And it's a full suite campaign, multiplayer, a third mode, whether it's that God for God awful war zone or something good like zombies, whatever. It's like Call of Duty is this. I know people like to shit on it, but it is an absolute behemoth. It is a feat. It is so, it is so insane that they managed to get that product out every year. And some years it's better than others. But for the most part, what Activision is set up to do with Call of Duty is unlike anything anyone else in the games industry can do. And it would behoove Microsoft to not maybe want to just sit back and, and and be the student for a minute and go, how the fuck do you do this? Because we can't make a Halo game in under seven years with half the fucking content it's supposed to have. Like, we hired, remember the rumors of Halo Infinite being the most expensive video game ever made, a $500 million budget, all the fucking contract work? Because Microsoft can't get a Halo Infinite out in like six or seven years without it being half-baked. So how the hell... 
is Activision shepherding multiple teams into getting these Call of Duties out like clockwork annually. But instead, Microsoft just jumped in and said, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're gone, here's a golden parachute, go, you do this, you do that. Mikey Bar, or not Mikey Bar, Matt Booty's in charge. It's like, ugh, mm, all right. So that's a, I don't know, it just, it just seems a little short-sighted because I, I worry that maybe now we start to see, because Microsoft's plan with, with Activision, let's be honest, is to release an annualized Call of Duty game just like Activision's MO was before Microsoft. Let's not kid ourselves and say, oh, well, they're going to make Tony Hawk and Spyro and Guitar Hero and Spider-Man. They're going to bring all these things back. That's not what's going to happen. They're going to make more Call of Duty games and sell a shit ton of Call of Duty. That's what's going to happen. So I just I just feel like it's a little short-sighted to throw out you know all the leadership that made this possible and be like, we'll do it. We'll take over. Look at our track record. We sometimes get games out. Maybe we can do this. Okay, by all means, Microsoft, go ahead. Show them what you got. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe for the first time we see a Call of Duty game not come out one year. And not because they don't want to release it, but because they Microsoft leadership fucked up and now they got to delay it. So, I mean, it, it, and I know a lot of the world would be like, oh, that's a good thing. I don't want a Call of Duty every year. That's not what I'm talking about. It's about inept leadership, not about making the decision that the, the public wants to see happen. So just, I don't know, just mark my words, man. I wouldn't be surprised if... 2025 or something we see it's like oh yeah call of duty 2025 is delayed to spring of next year or some shit like that you know or this year there will be no new call of duty because <laughs> the fucking the, the wheels aren't in motion anymore everything is fucked up so it's a possibility it's i wouldn't be surprised is all i'm saying microsoft haven't really proven themselves to be great with it with this kind of time and studio management and uh now they're throwing out the people the very same people who could help them learn how to be better at those those kinds of things so that's the <clears throat> that's a big chunk of it all and then there are some additional stories that we get and so we'll we'll read through these and we'll read through these and uh kind of go <coughs> going through all the other stuff that happened as a result of of this this insane news story so shortly after the uh, the initial news broke, fresh details about Blizzard's canceled survival game were revealed. So as we touched on that survival game, that Blizzard, I, I want to say that was like 2021 or something they announced it, got canceled by Microsoft. Um, inspired by games like Minecraft and Rust, the project was codenamed Odyssey, and it was set in a new universe and it had been developed for six years, according to Bloomberg sources. According to Bloomberg, the project was ultimately canceled because of technical issues in the game engine not being, or the game engine that was being used to make it. While it was originally prototyped on Epic's Unreal Engine, Blizzard executives felt that the te technology wasn't the right fit because it wouldn't support the goal of having vast maps support up to 100 players simultaneously. Instead, they wanted Odyssey, Odyssey's team to build the game using Synapse, an internal engine that the studio created for mobile games and wanted, wanted to be shared across many of its projects. <clears throat> However, it's claimed that the suite of tools and technology was slow to coalesce, uh, and Odyssey was ultimately canceled when they concluded that Synapse was not production ready so it is a little weird because microsoft again is is usually the team of like oh it's gonna take you a million years to get that game out the door we'll we'll just keep funding you yeah no no problem ninja theory just take just take seven years to make a, a six hour sequel to hellblade that's just more of what the first game was we'll we'll fund that for all this time and and then try to hype it up like it's the most groundbreaking game ever made uh or god knows what the hell's going on with uh state of decay 3 it's, it's just like Again, it's maybe it was the right call to cancel this game, but it just that's not a good way to start out to walk in like, hey, guys, we're the new leadership. Happy to be here. Happy to be have you guys part of the team. Anyway, let's see what's going on here. Oh, yeah, this game's not really coming along. Canceled. Fired. 
apparently a lot of that team is like all gone. Like if not all, if not all, most of the team is gone. So that fucking sucks. So blizzards, blizzards hurting, <laughs> but there is, there is some silver lining for blizzard depending on how you want to look at it. Because our next little story here is that blizzard did name uh, a, a new general manager, the former call of duty general manager. Uh, it will, sorry, I misspoke. They named a new president of Blizzard. The former Call of Duty general manager, Johanna Ferries, um, will be the new president of Blizzard, replacing Mikey Barra. The executive joined Activision as head of Call of Duty Esports in October of 2018, before being named GM of the blockbuster shooter franchise in April of 2021. Her new role, which will <clears throat> see her replace the outgoing studio boss, Mikey Barra, was confirmed to staff earlier this week. Activision Blizzard and King are decidedly different companies with distinct games, cultures, and communities, she said. It's important to note that Call of Duty's way of waking up in the morning to deliver with players uh, to deliver for players can often differ from the stunning games in Blizzard's realm, each with different gameplay experiences, communities that surround them, and requisite models of success. I've discussed with many Blizzard leadership team, and I'm, I'm walking into this role with the sensitivity to those dynamics, the deep respect for Blizzard, and we begin to explore taking our universes to even higher heights. I am committed to doing everything I can to help Blizzard thrive with the care and consideration for you and for our great games, each unique and special in their own right. And that was what she basically said. Just again, more whatever generic stuff. Yeah, she she apparently worked in in the NFL. I don't know what she did for the NFL, but she had some executive role with the NFL before she went to Activision, which is weird. And so she's kind of got a weird resume, a weird history. And and for her to end up in the in the the weird PC gamer furry space. It's like, I just feel like we're as far away from the NFL as we can get at this point. But I guess that's kind of how executives work. They just follow opportunities and money and not really like passion or anything like that. So anyway, she, who, who am I to speak? Maybe this, maybe this woman's fucking crazy about overwatch and she's always wanted to be the fucking ape with the glasses and, and to see the, the fucking cowboy with the, name that got changed for offensive reasons so whatever the case may be they found a replacement president so blizzard's in a a little bit of a reset mode you could say and i i I just wonder what's next for them because what did we know was next because overwatch 2 is just kind of doing its thing it was kind of an unnecessary sequel but it's it's there it's working well enough it's doing its thing and and then what there's the rumors of like a starcraft 2 remake or a new starcraft game that that's it right like i just like what, what what's going on Diablo 4 is going to get its post-launch support, still getting new seasonal content, but you know, that team's a little, a little screwy now. <laughs> in addition to that, we got some more concerning news where some of the mass layoffs at Microsoft's gaming division last week were reportedly, uh, or reportedly included the closure of, a, of departments dedicated to bringing physical games to market. From Windows Central, and Jez Corden over there at Windows Central, he says, quote, uh, according to sourcing, Microsoft has also shut down departments dedicated to bringing Xbox games to physical retail, which if you've seen the digital only Xbox console leaks, well, you can get the idea that where Microsoft is going. Uh, Note, reducing retail terms doesn't confirm Microsoft is quitting physical retail uh, for Xbox games yet. They can outsource and they might consolidate here. Uh, But legal documents leaked in September potentially laid bare key elements of Microsoft's gaming strategy for years to come, including plans to launch an adorably all-digital Xbox Series uh, X console codenamed Brooklyn. While While plans may have changed according to documents, the console was targeting a November 2024 launch at a $500 price point. Quote, there are certain AAA games with 80% plus digital shares on Xbox these days, so it's not too surprising, Daniel Ahmad, Director of Research and Insight at Nico Partners, said in response to Corden's claims. Indicative of how next-gen will be for sure, the analyst added. 
So that's Microsoft being even more aggressive about this all digital future, going as far as <clears throat> basically laying off the people from their internal teams concerned with physical retail and packaging and all these kinds of things you assume. So yeah, I, I wonder if the plan going forward will be like for, you know, for their, for their first party games, like their big ones, you do like a limited retail release, a physical release, and then just sell everything digital. You know, I wonder if that's the plan going forward. It's just weird. Like I, I know the majority of people buy their games digital, you know, like I'm very happily in that camp, but like, it's just, I don't, I don't know. Like if you, I, I felt like when we started talking about this inevitable all digital future, like in the early Xbox one years, I felt like it was going to take forever to get there. And now I feel like it's too soon in a way. It's like, I, I don't know. I guess it just took so long that now I'm like not expecting it anymore. So this just feels, just feels odd. Uh, BP Fatio writes in and says, as a retro gamer, I appreciate the ability to buy and play old games. I do, however, appreciate the fact that a lot less plastic will be produced by going digital only. By the way, I changed my profile picture just to be a B I T C. You know the rest. Yeah, you, you change your profile picture to be Andresia from Starfield because you want to mess with me because you know that's my girl. So watch yourself. I'll come after you. Please stay away from my girl. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can appreciate the fact that it's, it's technically good for the environment, but that's that's not like a motive. Not to say that you're suggesting this, but that's not like a motivating factor for Xbox or anything. That's just that's just a I guess a good con a, like. A positive unintended consequence, or if you want to put it that way. But again, it's like, I, what what is their goal here? Why are they like, what is Xbox fucking doing? Man? They're like just going. It's like going to be just freaking Matt Booty and Phil Spencer versus a million game developers making Call of Duty and just supporting Game Pass. Like, what what's happening here? I just I don't I don't know. It's it's a weird it's a weird branch of people to get rid of. Um, so yeah, maybe it's outsourcing, but that just, it just seems like for the amount of games they're publishing and putting out, that seems like something that'd be more cost effective to do in-house, especially as they amp up and, or ramp up and, and acquire more teams and put out more first party content. seems like that would be more of a necessity to have that in-house. So seems like maybe they're going to start doing, that would be my guess is that they're going to try to move towards doing more of a limited physical release run for their games and do more and more games that are just digital only more and more like hi-fi rushes and hellblade twos and things like that and then finally our last bit of information surrounding these unfortunate layoffs is just a, a little a little pat on the back for microsoft a little good news for them right so microsoft has reported a major jump in sales for its xbox division during the second financial during their second fiscal quarter uh that, that was reflected by a significant rise in sales during the quarter ended in december 31st with gaming revenue up 49% to $7.1 billion, including 44 points of net impact from the Activision deal. Xbox content and services rev uh, revenue rose 61% driven by 55 points of net impact from Activision, while Xbox hardware revenue was up 3% year over year. So that's actually good for hardware. That, I mean, that they're not dropping. As spotted by games industry analyst uh, Mauro NL, Microsoft said that the new 10Q uh, fig, uh, f filing uh, <clears throat> said in the new 10Q filing that it now values the purchase of pr purchase price of Activision Blizzard at 75.4 billion dollars, up from 68 billion originally forecast when the deal was announced in 2022. So they're saying that. So they're saying that they they already think that they've they've made or that the value of Activision has ri risen about six billion dollars. Um, so, you know, from the time they put put down until today. Uh, the net impact of Activision Blizzard on Microsoft results last quarter was $2.1 in revenue and $437 million in operating loss. And so what's important to note here is that Microsoft is basically 
instantly become like what what are they number two or number i think number three is what it is like the third biggest publisher of gaming maybe it's number two it's like tencent then microsoft or tencent then sony then microsoft now because of activision and 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 they said that what is it that mic that gaming is now microsoft's third biggest revenue generator even ahead of windows at this point because of activision blizzard combined with all the xbox stuff beforehand it's like it's insane it's that immediately like i mean and that's what's when you're a company like microsoft that has the kind of cash on hand that they had and you spend it you know 69 billion dollars to get activision blizzard like yeah it's a lot of money but think about what it's worth when you're a company like this where all that matters is the stock price and the the valuation of the company what matters more you have 69 billion dollars of cash on hand and that you could just use to buy whatever or having gaming go from this little like tertiary side aspect of your business to become the third most important, you know, revenue stream for you guys and to be able to raise the valuation of your company and to be able to grow, you know, to just grow the overall value of Microsoft as a whole, because now you got this hyper profitable, super big revenue generating gaming brand under your umbrella now. And so, yeah, Microsoft and Xbox is, is just going to shoot up like crazy when you see these quarterly earnings, but it's all because of micro it's all because of Activision. It's just, it's just inflated numbers. It's not anything authentic or that they worked for, but yeah. So just expect to see those numbers go up quite a bit. It's also awesome seeing them just like, yeah, look at this, look at the value of this company. It all rose. Look at all this bragging we can do. $3 trillion company laid off 1900 people. So really shitty. So that's the, that's the, the first big story we have, there's a, there's a second story we got to get to in the news. I don't think we'll have as much to say on it as we did with that, that first one. But um, yeah, that's, that's, that's it for now. 1900 people gone from Xbox, Activision, Blizzard, Zenimax. And now <clears throat> let's talk about game pass, a game pass app for iOS, Apple, new app store policies. What's going on in that realm of things. We're going to, have to do a little bit of going back in time to try and re uh, reacquaint ourselves with with this whole policy and in situation so we can talk about where we are at today. So from VGC starting us out, Apple has changed its stance on game streaming apps, potentially opening the door for an Xbox game pass app on the iOS app store. Microsoft launched its own cloud streaming service, which we knew as X cloud in September, 2020, but it wasn't available for iPhone or iPad. You might remember that that was because Apple had blocked the app in August of 2020, claiming that it didn't fit within its app guidelines. Apple's claim was that at the time that Microsoft wasn't submitting each individual game for its review process, that the app enables access to those games was being blocked from publishing. Remember, they were saying that you can't submit an app like Game Pass to the iOS app store because it has all these different games and you have to submit each game individually so they can review them and make sure they meet the guidelines and everything, which was such a hip hip, which was such a hypocrisy because you had apps like Netflix that had tons and tons of movies that all had different ratings and they didn't have to individually rate all those. So it was just absolute bullshit. Um, but Microsoft responded, uh, by alleging that Apple consistently threats gaming apps differently or treats, sorry, consistently treats gaming apps differently, applying more lenient rules to non gaming apps, even when they include interactive content. However, the situation has now changed according to a statement on Apple's developer website. It now says that, Introducing new options for how apps globally can deliver in-app experiences to users, including streaming games and mini programs. Developers can now submit a single app with the capability to stream all of the games offered in their catalog, the, title, the statement says. Addressing the previous issue, the Apple 
uh, that Apple was an, unable to review each game added to the streaming service. The company has now U-turned on that and said that the onus is now on the app developer to make sure that the content added is appropriate. They say, quote, each experience made available in the App Store will be required to adhere to all App Store review guidelines and its and its host app will need <laughs> to maintain an age rating of the highest age rated content included in the app. So, yeah, of course. So, like, you download the Game Pass app and it would say content rated up to a mature. You know, or, like, what is it? I think um, on iOS they don't have this. Maybe they have it now on iOS. They didn't when I had iPhone. But, like, on the, on the Google Play Store on Android... Um, apps are rated like like video games are like rated E through M and shit like that. Um, so yeah, it's like you just do that. You just put like a give the Game Pass an M rating, easy. And then yeah, even if you're playing Super Lucky's Tale on on Game Pass, it doesn't fucking matter. It's like the app has M rated content on it. So it's like such an obvious solution that was always the way to go. But again, when you're Apple and you get to control your app store like dictators control a country, um, yeah, you can just change your mind one day and and, and make things convenient for yourself or other people depending on how you're feeling on that given day so that's the good news and so now hypothetically the door is open microsoft can come in and be like fuck yeah we're putting a game pass app on ios well here's the other thing apple did this week that makes it a little less enticing to do so i wrote however there is something else that may not make things quite so simple for microsoft as our second story from vgc here reads a new European Union law uh, called the Digital Marketing Markets Act goes into effect in March and states that Apple um, <clears throat> now has to allow developers to create and offer new apps, including new stores, without using the App Store. So this is, again, the European Union kind of being badass, forcing Apple to do shit and play nice uh, in a way that makes things better for consumers. Uh, in response, Apple has changed its terms further to ensure it still earns money on non-App Store apps. Um, this includes a controversial demand if an app is downloaded more than a million times a year, the developer must pay Apple uh, half a euro for every download over one million downloads, similar to what uh, similar to what Unity was doing, right? Uh, meaning that developers will owe Apple 500,000 euros or 542,000 US dollars for every one million downloads after the first million. So the first million downloads, you're good, it's free. After you hit a million downloads, for every million additional downloads you get, you owe Apple roughly $542,000 or 500,000 euro. This decision was criticized on X by Spotify CEO Daniel, Daniel Eck, who stated, quote, under the false pretense of compliance and concession, Apple's put forward a new plan that is, com uh, that is a complete and total farce. Uh, X stated that his belief that Apple's terms were created to make developers stay within the App Store infrastructure, alleging that the new uh, half a euro fee is extortion, plain and simple. X tweet was then, um, sorry, X tweet was then EKS, not EX. Uh, tweet was then quoted by Xbox president Sarah Bond, who gave her backing to Spotify CEO uh, with her statement saying, quote, we believe constructive conversations drive change and progress towards open platforms and greater competition. She wrote, Apple's new policy is a step in the wrong direction, and we hope they listen to feedback on the proposed plan and work towards a more inclusive future for all. So, okay, Sarah Bond being pretty clean and PG, nothing super salacious there, but 
nonetheless, the the tweet with her quote tweet basically in line could be interpreted as some sort of endorsement of Spotify CEO's uh, comments, which is a little more how I would have spoken maybe by kind of calling Apple out and criticizing them, whereas she was a little more like, now, now, class, settle down. You know, Sarah Bond being a freaking all buttoned up like she is. She's like, now, now, Apple, we can have a talk about this. Meanwhile, CEO, uh, the Spotify CEO is like, Apple, you suck dick, you suck, everyone fucking hates you, you're dumb, you're dumb, you're stupid, uh, which is definitely how I would have handled it as well. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, point being, so now we're in this weird position where, you know, what Xbox, the rumor's been is that Microsoft wants to make their own app store that they can put on Android and iOS. The problem is you can do that on, on Android. You can't do that on iOS. Well, now you can do it on iOS because the European Union is being badass and forcing Apple to do all these things so they stop being such little cucks, which is why the new iPhones have USB Type-C. Thank you, God. So now I don't have to listen to people say, is that an iPhone charger or a Samsung charger? No, it's USB Type-C. Shut up. It's the same USB you use to charge inappropriate items. Anyway, the point being, so now Xbox, hypothetically, Microsoft can make this this app store, right? There's this, there's this word that they wanted to make their own app store. It's like an Xbox app store. You'd have to download it from the iOS app store or the Google Play or the Samsung uh, app store, whatever. But then it would be this like Xbox or Microsoft marketplace that you launch on your iOS or Android device. And then like you can download Game Pass. You can download uh, Xbox and Activision games and stuff like that. And maybe Microsoft TV and movie stuff. It would be like a little Microsoft app store, but for your mobile device, which is fucking great. I love that. I want that so bad. It's one step closer to me modifying my Android phone to look and feel like a windows phone. Let's fucking make it happen. Problem is on iOS, while they can now do that and they could also get a game pass app on there because now they don't have to worry about that rating issue they were having before in 2020, the problem is now you have an app like that. You know it's going to be downloaded millions and millions and millions of times like any moderately popular app would be. And they're going to have to pay out the fucking ass with Apple because basically that's how Apple gets around it. It's like, okay, so you're going to let a developer make make their own app store for iOS, but we don't get a profit off of downloads in someone else's app store. That's That's how Apple makes their money, right? It's like you download, you subscribe to Spotify or Netflix through your iPhone, through the Spotify or Netflix app on your iPhone, that $8 or $9 a month or whatever, Apple gets a 30% rip on that. Or you're playing Clash of Clans on your iPhone and you buy 50, you buy $10 worth of golden jewels or whatever, um, Apple gets a 30% rip on that. Just like how Xbox gets a 30% rip on when you buy Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League on your Xbox. You know, So <clears throat> if Microsoft's able to put their own app store on the Apple app store, and then you download that that Xbox app store, and then you go in there and you download games within that app store, Apple's not making money off those in-app purchases because you're buying it off of Microsoft's app store. So that's why they input impart this fee on there for every million, for every additional million downloads. So it's a way they can ensure that they still get fucking paid. They miss out on the chump change for all the apps that only get a couple hundred thousand downloads or whatever, sure. But all the actual money-making apps, they still get paid on. And so it's, it's slimy, it's shitty, We'll have to see how the European Union responds to this because that would be quite interesting if they're like, hey, we're somehow they could find a way to block that. I, I don't know. I mean, I understand and, and agree to an extent that Apple has the right to maintain and manage and operate their app store on their iOS platform that they've created that's proprietary how they see fit. You know, it's it's their hardware, it's their software, it's their ecosystem. Like, I, I, I am generally in support with they should be able to operate it how they see fit. But it's just like, goddamn, they're such little fucking cucks. 
They're so ah, oh, they're so annoying. It's so annoying. It's so annoying. They they try so hard to be the least friendly people out there. It's so goddamn annoying. So we'll have to wait and see how this plays out because I, listen, I, I hate that for all the Xbox fans out there that are on iPhone. You guys got to go to a web browser to stream Game Pass games. Like you can't download the app. And I, I want to see this Xbox Microsoft Marketplace app come to fruition. This this app store for iOS and Android. And I feel like if they can't get it on iOS, they won't make it for Android too. So I have skin in the game in that in order for me to get it on my phone, I need you guys on iPhone to get it too. So I want to see this happen. Let's make it fucking happen. Uh, Tim cook, you you piece of shit. You piece of shit. Stop being a piece of shit. All right. That's it for all the news. Um, not to be so negative, but you know, Hey, I was somewhat positive. I don't control the news, but I tried to, I tried to, be positive and uplifting about <clears throat> Suicide Squad. There you go. But unfortunately, yeah, there's just the news in the in in the news cycle out there right now. It's just it's not very uplifting stuff. But let's uh, let's move over to the important enough news stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to start off with some more disparaging news um, because. What I've done is uh, just gathered up all the big layoff stories of the week and bullet pointed them here so we can just touch on them real quick. So here are your updates for layoffs of, of the week in the games industry. Sega of America has decided to lay off 61 employees, which will take place on March 8th. And that will be out of California-based offices. Uh, developer People Can Fly has reportedly laid off over 30 developers working on an unannounced Square Enix game, possibly Outriders 2. Uh, development director Adam Al- Alker said that the cuts were being made due to budget limitations and the shrinking scope of the project. Further 20 people working on the game, which is codenamed Project Gemini, have also been reallocated to other projects at the Polish studio. A source uh, told Kotaku that the length of the Gemini's campaign will be shorter than previously planned, and its enemy roster will also be reduced due to the layoffs. Next up, Embracer-owned studio Black Forest Games reportedly plans to lay off approximately half of its employees. According to Kotaku sources, the cuts were announced on January 24th. It's claimed that the studio's creative director and most, if not all, the managers were expected to keep their jobs with more info in the coming weeks. Um, And then lastly, going back to Embracer, they've reportedly canceled an unannounced Deus Ex game at IDOS Montreal. According to Bloomberg, the project has been in development for two years. Several employees will be laid off as part of the cancellation. Idos Montreal will instead focus on a new original franchise, it is claimed. So that sucks ass. People want a new DSX game, so of course that one got canceled. And then, of course, the layoffs. Embracer is imploding on itself, as everyone has called from a mile away. People can fly. I love that developer. It's really sad to see the layoffs there and the reduced scope of their next project. And then Sega with their layoffs as well. I think they said that was like 10% of their team or something like that. Yeah, so not much more to say. It's just, again, this this is going to be... Just like this was the Activision acquisition podcast for two years, this is going to be like the fucking video game layoff podcast for a little while. So unfortunately, we got to deal with that. Uh, next up, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth has become the... has become only the 30th game in history to receive a perfect score in the highly respected Japanese magazine, Famitsu. As reported by Ryoku Ti 2089 issue 1835, doesn't matter. The game received a perfect score of 40. Unlike most video game publications, Famitsu reviews games by four different critics, which is why their <clears throat> why their reviews are on a scale of 40 instead of 10. Each critic gives the game a score between 1 to 10. They add those scores up, and that is the game's score. In this case, it is one of 30 games in history to have ever gotten a perfect 40 out of 40 score. 
people are loving this new Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth game. Again, I, I, I want to catch up. I got to get to these Batman games and Suicide Squad. I, I want to get to Atlas Fallen. I want to get back to... Um, back to yakuza it's lots of things i want to get to it's it's hard i need to find time but glad to see people are loving loving that game uh next up the director of destiny 2 has announced he'll be leaving bungie soon and a thread on x joe blackburn stated that he would be departing from the company in february when it performs its end-to-end play test on destiny's 2's upcoming final shape dlc blackburn will be replaced by tyson green who joined bungie as a level designer in the 1999 pc game myth 2 and went on to work as a designer for most of bungie's subsequent games playing key roles in multiplayer design lead for halo 3 and, and games like destiny 1 and 2 next up sony and the mlb have unveiled mlb the show 24 including the game's cover star vladimir guillermo guerrero uh, jr the 24 year old canadian dominican toronto blue jay star will grace the box of this year's entry <clears throat> which will be released on March 19th. The Xbox One version of the game will be $60 US, but the series version of the game will be $70 US. And will be the show 24 marks the fourth time the game has been on Xbox consoles. And as is the case with the last three entries, the standard version of the game will be a day one Game Pass game. The collector's edition of the game will be revealed on February 6th. Next up, earlier in the week, social media users explicit use explicit spotted explicit references to Game Pass on the RPGs page on Xbox.com. When searching the game... When searching for the game Visions of Mana, uh, which was recently shown at the Xbox Developer Direct, the preview of text field referred to the game as coming soon to series consoles for Game Pass. However, in a statement issued to Eurogamer following this news spreading, um, Xbox has now denied that. They said, quote, we're aware that Xbox.com included language that indicates Visions of Mana coming to Game Pass, but we can confirm that's an error, uh, a Microsoft spokesperson said. While we're always updating the library and looking for new ways to provide members with more value and choice, we don't have plans to bring Visions of Mana to Game Pass at this time. So, nip that in the bud. Next up, a tweet from Need for Speed developer Stellar Entertainment has caused some fans to think a new Burnout game might be coming. This is funny because we were just talking about Burnout last week. Uh, our <clears throat> Quote, our way of giving you kind of weird insider intel about what we're working on without actually telling you what we're working on, they posted on X. Uh, they said, quote, and the bosses still haven't issued any kind of takedowns. Happy days. It continues, attached to the post is an image reading, POV, you're about to be rear-ended. These references, like rear endings and takedowns, have caused speculation, with takedowns being the name of the game for destroying a car's impo- uh, an opponent's car, my god, in the racing series. Takedown was also the subtitle for the third game in the series, so fans are, are speculating that this is a tease for a new Burnout game, which would be highly welcomed and long overdue. Uh, and penultimate. Lee, we've got Striking Distance Studios, the developer behind Callisto Protocol, uh, is working on a new Unreal Engine 5 game. Spot on X um, by games industry analyst Maro NL. The studios posted new job listings, which re- uh, relate to new projects. One of the ads for the lead gameplay animator position confirms that the studio is working on a new title. Quote, Striking Distance Studios is looking for a lead gameplay animator to help us create the most dynamic, engaging players and enemy experience for a brand new unannounced Unreal Engine 5 title. And melee combat experience is a plus, they say, for hiring. The ad suggests the start for a new, for the studio that suffered layoffs last year, as well as the departure of their CEO. So hopefully things are on the up and up for those guys. Finally, PDP has shown off the first images of its Riffmaster guitar controller. The new controller, which is teased last month, will come in two configurations. One compatible with PlayStation 4 and 5, and one compatible with Xbox Series, as well as Xbox One. According to IGN, who received exclusive hands-on with the peripheral, 
The guitar's batteries reportedly last up to 36 hours on a single charge and can be folded away for easy storage. The controller will be compatible with Rock Band 4 and eventually Fortnite Festival. The rhythm game mode recently introduced the massively popular free-to-play game. While developed by Harmonix and very similar to the Rock Band series, Fortnite Festival doesn't currently support rhythm game controllers, but will in the near future. No price has been given for the Rift Master. And uh, I'm really excited about this thing's existence, but oh my god, the controller looks so awful. Like, the, the renderings of, of, of the controller looks so ugly. It looks terrible. Here's hoping it feels good when you hold it and play it. That's going to do it for all of our news this week, you guys. We made it to the end. Time for the last segment of the podcast. The comments, the shoutouts from YouTube.com. You know how it works. Go over to YouTube.com. Click on Xbox on Podcasts, latest episode of the show, and leave a comment. Say anything nice, anything mean, or anything in between. I sprinkle all your comments throughout the show this week, so I really don't have much here. Just a couple more, Cronky, and two other quick comments. But Tim R. did write in, and he says, pretty sure that... That was a Diablo 2 Wurtz leg reference. We need more limb-based weaponry in modern games. I have no idea what that's a reference to, Tim R., but feel free to elaborate. OG Madlocks, thank you for writing in, first-time writer, says, strange, first-time commenter, strangely enough, ESO, Elder Scrolls Online, has 22 million players. The only reason views are so low is that the players usually know what's coming already. Fair, true, and yes, I mean, they're still supporting the game, putting out new content and, and making it a priority. It means... There's a player base for it and there's money to be made off of it. So yeah, but also, no. Like, I, I I get it, but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know, like Disney Plus might be like, oh yeah, the Marvel's What If series on Disney Plus had 30 million viewers. What a success or whatever. It's like, okay, that, that's great, but I don't care. And the majority of people don't care because we want to watch the next Avengers movie at the movie theater. We want to watch the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie. We want to see the next Thor or Iron Man movie. We don't care about the animated what if series on Disney plus, even if it does well, even if there are people consuming it and watching and enjoying it, it's like, that's great. Where's the real deal. And that's kind of like how things like ESO are. It's like, I'm sure it's great. I'm glad people like it. I know there's a user base that enjoys it, but don't, don't mention elder scrolls unless you're talking about elder scrolls six. OG Madlocks. Thank you for Ian. Have a wonderful week. Cronky writes us out this week with a couple comments about pal world following what we talked about last week and says, so I'm going to open a can of worms. I disagree with you about Power World being in legal trouble with the Pokemon thing. Satire's fair use. Even before Disney bought Fox, Family Guy used Mickey Mouse and a ton of satire. Pokemon has you enslaving creatures and forcing them to fight, yet no one seriously calls out how awful that is for kids to play. The game has you enslaving them and people are forcing them to work assembly lines. If I were the lawyers, I'd make the easiest argument of all time. Power World is completely a fair game. I'm just not interested in playing it because of the Arc Rust slash uh, connotation, and I hate that kind of game. I think that is a totally wonderful point, the satire thing, and I think if it weren't for the fact that the character's art design looks like an absolute pound-for-pound ripoff of Pokemon, I feel like they would have really strong legs to stand on. It's just that the problem here isn't that they're going to be like, ooh, this idea for this game is so similar to Pokemon, because it's not. I mean, I only played Power World for like an hour, but I can I can tell you, this game has way more in common with Zelda Breath of the Wild and Minecraft and, and, and Ark Survival and stuff like that than it ever has with Pokemon. You don't do anything you do in Pokemon. This game has, this game's gameplay loop is like basically nothing like Pokemon. Um, so from that, that standpoint, they're fine. And I don't think even if it was a Pokemon gameplay knockoff, I don't think there'd be a problem. The problem is, if they are using AI art to make these designs and these designs look so much like Pokemon, they could find out if if maybe this this AI algorithm or program they used is literally pulling from Pokemon 
to make these creatures, in which case that is stealing. And that is the bigger concern. But on the general grounds, like in a more traditional sense, yeah, making a satire version of Pokemon, I think they're totally fine with that. And so, I, I don't know, it's that they use actual poke the AI using actual Pokemon art assets to create these creatures is different from them making their version of a Pokemon or whatever. But either world, either way, I, I, I think they might be okay, but we know the Pokemon company is investigating further, but whatever. You continue on with another point and say, the last couple of years in gaming have been characterized by unexpected games lighting the world on fire. Boulder's Gate 3, which I still don't understand. It was in early access for like 80 years and no one cared about it. Then magically everyone cared one day. Elden Ring, etc. However, Hogwarts Legacy came out and everyone was psyched. And then it fell off the map shortly after. My prediction is that uh, Power World will follow the Hogwarts Legacy route and be forgotten pretty hard after a month. Your thoughts? Well, let's back up a little bit because Hogwarts Legacy was not forgotten. Hogwarts Legacy was was censored by a lot of games media. But Hogwarts Legacy was not forgotten. When you talk about the regular Joe just going to the store saying, I want to play a new video game. Hogwarts Legacy was the best-selling game of 2023. And it was a game that had, had absolutely had legs. Like, it's still selling great. It's still selling great even on as it came to Switch and still selling great on the platforms it was on at day one with Xbox and PlayStation. And Hogwarts Legacy is a, a massive success. People, that is definitely a game that a lot of people got for Christmas. It's definitely a game that sold well. Throughout the fall season, it's definitely a game that sold well over the summer, even though it came out in March of last year. So I, I don't I, I want to be clear, like Hogwarts Legacy isn't some game that like came and went without a whisper. And I know you're not insinuating that it bombed or didn't do well, um, but I, it's only the conversation, and that's in the hardcore space. Hogwarts Legacy, I'm not saying it's like the success level of a GTA, but it's one of those games like a GTA or like a Mario Kart where it has such broad mainstream appeal. That's the kind of game you'll just you'll just hear people talk about randomly. You know, you'll just hear like a coworker that doesn't really play games just mention that they were playing Hogwarts Legacy. It's one of those games that someone will buy like three years after it comes out because they're not into games and they don't need to play things the day they come out and they, they, they don't mind being late to the experience as long as they get around to it someday. And so Hogwarts Legacy is, by all accounts, a roaring success with a long tail behind it. Um, but I, I do understand that in terms of the gaming conversation, people moved on pretty quick. I think that's because a game like Hogwarts Legacy was surprisingly good for what it was. It, it absolutely nailed the tone and the atmosphere and, and the world of Harry Potter. But in terms of what its open world gameplay was, it was good for what it was, but it wasn't anything groundbreaking. And I think games like Baldur's Gate 3 and Elden Ring, while I haven't played these games, so I can't speak to them. I think the reason why those games stuck around and became like so widely beloved is because people felt like those games were groundbreaking. Like even Spider-Man two, it came out, it sold like crazy. People loved it. It got great scores, it, you know, whatever it made money. And then within a month, no one talked about Spider-Man two. And I think it's the same thing as Hogwarts legacy. It's like people loved it. It's more of what they expected. It was a good game, but it's just, you know, it's like they, they've been there. They've done that before. So it just doesn't like sit at the forefront of their, of everyone's memory for a long time. But Baldur's Gate 3 was such a caught-by-surprise, unexpected, like, world-changing game that people just want to talk and talk about it after all this time. I think that's the difference. Um, I, I agree that Power World will be a game that will fall off the face of the earth in a couple months, but I think we'll probably still have a steady player base. I think it has 
potential be something like a like a Pokemon Go. Remember, like everyone in the world played Pokemon Go for a little while, and it was pretty cool. And like you'd go to like the mall, and it's just like everyone's like meeting up with strangers and playing Pokemon Go together, and it was fun. But then after a couple months, the the, the majority of us who have like jobs and families and lives deleted Pokemon Go, moved on with our lives, and went back to like doing stuff. But there is still a huge population of people that continue to play Pokemon Go. To this day, I know people that play Pokemon Go, and Pokemon Go makes money. Although, maybe that's a bad example now, because I think Niantic just had layoffs and, and, and talked about losing money. But for the longest time, I mean, the game came out in 2016 and did very, very, very well for many years afterwards. And the point being that just because the buzz had died down didn't mean the game wasn't relevant or popular or, or something like that. But... Um, I don't know. Power World, I guess it, it really comes down to like how how rich is the experience? Like a game like Pokemon Go was so fun and novel, but the experience is super thin. And a game like Hogwarts Legacy is really, really great, but it's something we, we, we've seen things like that before. Um, but a game like Baldur's Gate 3 is massive. There's so much to do in it. A game like Elden Ring is massive. There's so much to do in it. And these games redefine the genres that they <laughs> that they're part of. And they, and they caught people by surprise so much so that I think it just stays at the forefront of people's brains for a long time. And that that's me trying to make sense of it and understand it and give people the benefit of the doubt. So that's 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 my response to what you're asking, what you're talking about. If you want me to look at it from another perspective, I don't know what to tell you. Because I look at a game like Baldur's Gate 3, I look at a game like Elden Ring, and I want to fucking blow my brains out. I look at El- I, I, If you ask me, Jesse, do you want to go outside in the Florida heat in the middle of July and pull weeds out of some old lady's garden? Or do you want to sit inside in an air conditioned room and sip on pina coladas while you play seven hours of Elden Ring? I'll, I'll say, I'll say, give me some fucking sunscreen and some, and some shears. Cause I'm helping old lady Samantha clean her garden out because Elden Ring. I, I can't think of a game that looks any more eye wateringly boring to play. Like I love video games, but Elden Ring, Elden Ring looks just, oh my god! If all games were like Elden Ring, I would hate video games. I would just, I would have no interest in this hobby at all. And that's great. It's great that 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 there can be so many different things, and not everything's gonna be for me, and not everything's gonna be for you, and that's great. But like, I don't know. If you if you want me to ask more from like a trying to read this situation more from a personal perspective, I don't fucking get it, man. I look at last year. I'm like, why aren't you motherfuckers talking about Starfield? That shit was awesome. Go on about Baldur's Gate with the fucking naked lizard ladies and do your thing. Whatever makes you happy. So to each their own. Power World is probably a fad, but will make money and probably have a dedicated player base once the hype dies down. Obviously, right now, things are just hot because it's early in the year. There's not much going on. This is pretty interesting, so everyone's going to jump on this. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like back to the Suicide Squad things. Like, why is everyone so hard on Suicide Squad? Because there's not much going on right now, and it's just way easier to rag on Suicide Squad with all your free time than to, like, get a job or get a hobby, you know? So it's like, I don't know why, why is Baldur's gate the greatest thing in the world? Because I, I don't know. Cause the internet says it's good. Anyway, that's, that's it for all the comments this week and, and not to, not to shit on those games. They're, they're popular for a reason. I'm sure. I'm sure if I were into those kinds of games, I would, I would see the value in them and I would appreciate them more, but uh, I don't know. That's, that's just, that's the kind of stuff that's popular these days. If anything, again, and I will, I will give gamers the credit. I, I, I am impressed with, and I appreciate the kinds of games that the that the general gaming audience has allowed to become super popular. You know, like a game like Baldur's Gate 3 that is so specifically nerdy, so challenging, so like 
so detailed and so nuanced that you would think a game like this will never reach mainstream appeal because it's just so it's just so it's so granular, you know? Something like Spider-Man, yeah, because it's action, it's fun. You look at it for two seconds and you understand what the game is. A game like Baldur's Gate's like that's that's hardcore. So I do think it is really cool that we've reached a point where super ass nerdy games, super challenging games like Elden Ring, like even if they're not for me, I do think it's cool that we've reached a point where mass audiences can appreciate those kinds of games for what they are. And that that's one thing I really respect and admire a lot. So anyway, that's it for this week's episode of the Xbox on podcast. If you made it all the way to the end, thank you as always uh, appreciate you and uh, feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use. Remember if you want to leave a review for any, any amount less than five stars, I would highly suggest you just don't review the show. But if you'd like to leave a five-star review, please go out of your way. Take the two minutes, leave a review. I'd really appreciate it. Help me get this show discovered a little more so more people can enjoy my nonsense. Uh, but yeah, I'm in pain. I need to go drink water and cough. So I'm going to wrap it up here. But thank you all for listening. Hope you have a great week. And if you work in games or hell, anywhere, because everything's getting weird, hope you don't get laid off. Eat some yummy Taco Bell value menu food, save some, save some money, play some Suicide Squad, and until next week, power your dreams. Oh.